0: It is Friday. Good We're morning like,
1: everyone. They're like, "Oh, you guys are on TV."
0: <laughs> We're like, "Did you get a haircut?" Uh, we are glad you are with us and it is wow, a very busy uh news Friday. Let's get started with the five things to know for this Friday, April 7, 2023. Tennessee Republican-led Tennessee's Republican-led House has expelled two of its Democratic members for violating house rules during a gun reform protest. One of them is Justin Jones, and he will join us live this morning.
1: What a story that is. We have so much to cover on that, plus escalation in the Middle East. Israel launching airstrikes into southern Lebanon and the Gaza Strip. The move comes after a barrage of rocket attacks were reported in Israel. The Biden administration proposing a rule that would forbid a ban on trans athletes. The rule, however, would allow some exceptions to be made.
2: Also, Stormy Daniels speaking out, saying she is, quote, absolutely willing to testify in the Manhattan District Attorney's case against former President Trump. She's telling Piers Morgan she doesn't think the charges against him, though, are, quote, worthy of incarceration. Also, J.P. Morgan's Jamie Dimon sitting down with Poppy and telling her that the banking crisis has also now raised the odds of a recession. He does still see some positives in the economy. That exclusive wide-ranging interview you can only see here. Scene in this morning starts right now. What happened on the Tennessee oh, last night? a night, night in was, Tennessee. I
1: was just going to say that. I mean, crazy.
2: It was like nothing you'd ever seen before. No. I, I mean, it's only happened, this is the third time Twice, it's happened right? since the Civil since War, it, yeah. which is just remarkable in and of itself. It was
1: since Reconstruction that you know, someone has been expelled. expelled. It's apart. just, and why? A lot of people believe it has to do with race. Two of them are black, one's white, yep. the white one did not get expelled. And Every, she
0: herself is saying. Yeah, yes.
1: everyone is weighing in from the current president to the former president. That's
0: exactly right. And by the way, when they took the time to do this, these expulsions, what was the house and the body not doing? Yeah, Not addressing. The crisis of the school shooting. The, yeah. the gun violence. And yes. that's what they
1: wanted to, them the to point. address, and they got expelled right. for it. Well, so, two of them, at least.
0: Yes, so we're going to talk about that a lot this morning. It's where we begin with outrage and protest at Tennessee state capitol after Republicans voted to expel two young black Democrats from the state house. <laughs> The lawmakers were defiant with their fists raised as they walked in before the vote. It came one week after they protested on the House floor and demanded gun reform in the wake of the school shooting at Covenant Elementary. That happened just a few miles from the state capitol. Here's how the crowd reacted to their expulsion.
3: Mr. Clerk, take the vote.
0: Protesters screamed and booed and shouted their disapproval from that balcony above. The expelled lawmakers are calling for protests to come back next week.
4: Every week until this session adjourns, we will return whether we're inside the chamber or outside the chamber. We said we want a ban on assault weapons. They said we're going to assault democracy. Shameful. Shameful. Ryan Young
0: has been covering all of this for days now. He joins us again this morning. They are vowing to keep this fight going. They're vowing to be there whether they're officially in in the body or not.
5: Yeah, Poppy, I think you guys summed it up pretty well this morning. People were in shock yesterday when this happened. Look, they believe that the expulsion could happen, but the fact that it went down racial lines really could have shook some of the people in the crowd. On top of that, you're talking about thousands of people showing up, wanting to hear something about gun control, and that never happened.
6: What they did tonight is light a fire to our movement, and we will not stop.
5: Screams ringing out of the Tennessee House floor after two black Democrats,
4: Justin Pearson and Justin Jones, were expelled from the legislature. When they expelled us, it wasn't about us individually. That's right. It was an attempt to ex- expel and silence a movement. Yeah. we showing up Monday. Yeah. yeah! And we need you to show up Monday. Yeah! yeah. And,
7: yeah. Because our schools need to be safer.
5: A third representative, Gloria Johnson, who is white, nearly survived her expulsion vote.
7: I
2: think it's pretty clear I'm a six-year-old white woman. And they are two young black men.
5: The Republican controlled Tennessee State House of Representatives brought motions on Monday to expel the three Democrat lawmakers after they protested on the House floor against gun violence after a mass shooting at a Nashville school. No action, no peace. No action, no peace. The three Democrats were in breach of chamber rules when they approached the podium with a bullhorn without being recognized to speak. One of the Republican sponsors of the motion Representative Andrew Farmer admonished Pearson during the debate.
3: You don't truly understand why you're standing there today. Just because you don't get your way, you can't come to the well, bring your friends, and throw a temper tantrum with an adolescent bullhorn.
7: While I know I do take responsibility for coming to the well while the Speaker said out of order... I also take responsibility for the people in our district and in our communities
5: who are asking for us to do something.
3: Expelled from the House of Representatives of the 103rd General Assembly of the state of Tennessee.
5: After a long, contentious debate, both Pearson and Jones were expelled along party lines. America should absolutely be worried. The three lawmakers appeared with protesters in the Capitol with their arms raised in solidarity.
4: I'm not broken. Um, you know, I, 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 I stood firm in that well because we need to let the nation know that what's happening in Tennessee is a danger to the nation. What we saw today was authoritarianism. What we saw today was the undoing of the will of my voters, of, of, of my constituents poppy
5: we talked to dozens of people who showed up here to the state capitol yesterday and all of them were telling us uh they would like to see people get away from the red and blue they wanted people to get away from these party lines and change the conversation they hated to see that tennessee was being put in the spotlight for what we shouldn't be talking about right now which is The politicians. We should be talking about gun control and how we keep kids safe. We had one teacher who came on with us yesterday who was crying, saying he's in fear for his students on a day-to-day basis. You understand the passion behind this. People really want to see change. That did not happen yesterday.
0: And now how how many people uh, in their districts, everyone in their districts, for now at least, not represented, right, vacant those positions? Brian Young, thank you.
2: Yep. And they've called a meeting on Monday to see what the next steps here are. Shortly after that Republican controlled Tennessee House of Representatives, which has a supermajority, voted to expel those two Democrats, we spoke with our colleague Jeremy Fazin. He is the Republican caucus chair in the State House. This is how he defended their expulsions. I understand decorum. Mm-hmm. Van was just making the point there. Of course, not everyone could bring a bullhorn in every time they disagreed. Otherwise, it would be total chaos. But why take this step? Why, why, was there no measure you could have taken uh, before this, before expulsion? Why take the most extreme step so quickly?
8: So that's an excellent question. More than just what America has seen that took place last Thursday, there's a history all year long of disrupting committees, And the House floor, we've called them out. The chairman of committees, the Speaker of the House have been calling them out time and time again for grabbing the mic, sucking the air out of the room, making sure no other voice is heard. And finally, when they come and and act so foolish on the House floor, this is a sacred place that belongs to everybody, and literally start looking up into the gallery with a bullhorn, getting the protesters worked up into a frenzy, that is incumbent on us to say, You've gone a step too far. And I, I, I'd like to add to y'all, they've, they've not backed down from that either. You know, I, I told them earlier today, I, I, I feel like if they would have said, you know what, we messed up. I mean, what American, what human won't bring forgiveness and redemption, but they doubled down and went so far as to stand in the well today and said, I'd do it again. That was their mentality. That shows me. When there's a pattern of behavior like that, if you refuse to stop it yourself, then we have to step in as a group of individuals that work with you and say, you'll not do that here. Well,
2: They said they were passionate because of the underlying reason that I think is important here to also remind people, which is because six people were killed in a shooting last week.
8: This body spoke many times. I brought our caucus together several times since last Thursday to ask the body what we as a group wanted to do. The overwhelming majority, the heartbeat of this caucus says, not on this House floor, not this way. So, if there was an idea of sending it to the ethics group, this group, my caucus, which is the supermajority, there's 75 of us, said, no, that is not, we don't want to go through the ethics route, we don't want them censured, we want them expelled. It's not possible for us to move forward with the way they were behaving in committee and on the House floor. There's got to be some peace. And for them, the way they were behaving to disrupt every committee, disrupt the House floor they were. How can we get to the to the answers of what are we going to do about gun violence? What, what are we going to do about guns and cars? What are we going to do about red flag law? The, the conversation can't happen because they're drowning out and sucking all the air out of the room. So I, I would just push back on you saying we can't get there if they won't let us. And thank you for letting me speak with you. God bless you Representative.
2: Y'all. Representative, I know you got a long drive home. One final question for you. All right. Well, Jeremy Faison has left us. And the final question that I wanted to ask him was his explanation for why the two black Democrats were expelled and the woman, the white woman who she acknowledged, she believes race played a role in that survived by one vote.
9: <laughs> yep.
1: I think it's obvious. Um, look, it's, they could have done a censure, right? I think the right question was, why take the most drastic action afterwards? This is exactly what our country was built on, on protesting, not everyone. Pro- protests aren't perfect. It's also unconscious bias. Mm. It's racism, it's a double standard in our society. I d- obviously, I do have to say, I would doubt they would have done this to white members because guess what? They did it, they, didn't. they did it to the two black members. And especially the two black men. It's like usually, especially with something like this, the, the, the way people think about black men in this society needs to really be uh, examined, um, especially with protests, especially with how we mm-hmm. express ourselves. If you look at the member there, one, the guy with the Afro, right? He's Justin very outspoken, Pierce. And He's Justin dude. Pierce, right? I just, I just wanted to be clear because there are two Justins. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to be clear about because he is the Afro. Yeah. To militant or whatever you want to call him, outspoken, but that's how he, that's his way of expressing himself. And it doesn't mean that he's being rude or boisterous or whatever, he's expressing himself and that's how he feels. And the other guy is a, a more subdued and he's gonna be on the other Justin, I should say, Justin because there are two Jones, Justins, yeah. that's why I keep saying Justin Jones. Um, that's the way he expresses himself. And so I think that we really need to think about the double standard in society. It, you may want to call it unco- un, un, you know, unconscious bias. It's racism. That's exactly, that's all that it is. And what they were trying to do was something that was good for the country and for Tennessee and for the country. And they ended up with the worst outcome.
2: And I think the point that you can't just have someone when they disagree, take a bullhorn, go into the well, you know, cause mm-hmm. all the disruption that we saw.
1: And it to January 6th, by the way. And cam- that, yeah. as, as the
2: House Speaker did. Yeah. But, but the, it's the way – I understand that point that, you know, you they have to have order in the House decorum. I, I get that to the degree of you can't have someone just taking yep. a bullhorn whenever they disagree. But it's exactly what you were saying, you know, why take that step? Because Van Jones was – you know, he lived in Nashville and he was talking about us yesterday. There is the Health Ethics Committee that you can go to. There are all these other steps that you could take before that if you really wanted to prove a point about decorum.
0: Of course. We're going to talk a lot more about this later. We'll talk about what yeah. President Obama said as well in response in a little bit but we do need to get to, to israel I mean, just, well. justin I mean, jones
1: is going to be with us yeah in a little bit so we need to get to this because it's also happening right now we'll get back to that so we're following the escalation that's happening this conflict in the middle east this morning overnight israeli forces launching a series of airstrikes on lebanon and gaza Those strikes coming after Israel says a barrage of rockets were fired from the Lebanon border into Israel, Israeli territory. The tension comes after police in Israel stormed the Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem earlier this week. CNN's Hadass Gold live near the Israel-Lebanon border with more. This is really escalating this morning. What is happening now, Hadass?
10: Yeah, Don, you can actually see the border with Lebanon just behind me along that hill. And since those Israeli airstrikes in southern Lebanon earlier this morning, there has been a tense quiet. The Israeli military saying that it was targeting specifically Palestinian Hamas targets. In southern Lebanon, there have been no reports from injuries uh, from those airstrikes, and we have not seen any sort of rockets in response. Uh, The airspace, though, here in the northern part of Israel is still closed. That gives you an indication that there is still fears that something could further escalate, but we are hearing from both the Israeli military and the Lebanese prime minister that essentially neither side has an interest in any sort of further escalation. In fact, most of the action has actually been down south in Gaza, where the Israeli military is saying that it struck several Hamas uh, militant locations, including tunnels as well as weapons manufacturing sites, uh, and the, at least 44 rockets were fired from Gaza into Israel overnight. Now, again, thankfully, no injuries have been reported on either side. There has been damages reported in Gaza. In fact, a children's hospital in Gaza has reported some damages, but again, no injuries on either side. The Israelis who live near the Gaza border have also actually been instructed that they don't need to be staying near their shelters anymore as of this morning, an indication, hopefully, that things are calming down, at least there. But things are not calming down elsewhere. In the West Bank, just in the last hour or so, so two Israeli women were shot and killed. Another was injured. The Israeli uh, military saying this was a Palestinian attack in the occupied West Bank. Don, it goes to show you just the multi fronts that are going on here and how the situation can very quickly go out of control. And also right now, Friday prayers going on at Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem. So far, they are passing peacefully with tens of thousands of worshipers, but things here can easily uh, cycle out of control.
1: Yeah. It is a tinderbox there. Uh, thank you. Continue to follow that Hadas goal joining us this morning.
0: All right.
10: This story, just
0: stunning. Uh, mega yacht, private jets, exclusive resorts. Coming up, a new report that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been going on all of these free luxury vacations for decades paid for by a GOP mega donor.
2: This morning, there is a stunning new report from ProPublica that reveals Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his wife, the conservative actress Jenny Thomas, have gone on several luxury trips all paid for by a Republican mega donor. This new report detailed lavish vacations to Indonesia and New Zealand, some parts of the United States, all funded by the conservative businessman Harlan Crow, that you see here. It's a far cry from how Thomas has described how he likes to spend his free time in a documentary he did in 2020 called Created Equal.
11: I prefer the RV parks. I prefer the Walmart parking lots to the beaches and things like that. There's something normal to me about it. I come from regular stock, and I prefer that. I prefer being around that.
2: In addition to the vacations, the new report says that Thomas reportedly also used Crowe's private jet flying to New York for the unveiling of a bronze statue of his beloved eighth grade teacher who was a nun. The justice also gifted a $19,000 Bible that belonged to the abolitionist Frederick Douglass, which Thomas did disclose, we should note. Harlan Crowe put out this statement in response to the new report, saying Justice Thomas and his wife Jenny never asked for any of this hospitality. We have never asked about a pending or lower court case. And Justice Thomas has never discussed one. We have never sought to influence Justice Thomas on any legal or political issue. Joining us now for her perspective on this is CNN Supreme Court analyst Joan Biskupik, whose new book that was just out, Nine Black Robes, Inside the Supreme Court's Drive to the Right and Its Historic Consequences, is uh, kind of the perfect book to set us up for this moment. And Joan, you know the Supreme Court so well. I just wonder, initially, as you read this report, you learned
12: about this, what your reaction was, were you stunned by it? I was, I was, I will be very honest. I was impressed by the reporting, the kinds of details they came up with and how much they were able to ferret out because the truth is so little is disclosed by these justices. There is some ambiguity in the rules about how much they have to put on their financial disclosure forms. They tend to put just minimal amounts of information there. And recently the rules were tweaked so that this kind of travel, so-called personal hospitality would have to be revealed. But the bottom line also is, Caitlin, that they have no formal code of ethics or any way that any member of the public could lodge a complaint and then see that complaint resolved. The attitude of the justices is has essentially been, trust us, uh, we have, you can be confident uh, that we have no conflicts of interest here.
0: You know, Joan, that that lack of a code of ethics is the first thing I thought about when I read this ProPublica reporting, because we talked about that right around the leak of the Dobbs decision, right? Like, where is the code of ethics cetera? And this is another place where it shows how needed that is. Is there any precedent for anything like this in the modern history of the court, at least?
12: You mean this kind of extensive, um, you know, not that we know of. And I do have to say, Poppy, you know, since you know the court well, it's really hard for the public to both have a way to complain about these off bench activities and then even for members of Congress to do anything about it. The last, uh, you know. There's been a lot of complaints now from Senate Judiciary Committee Chairman uh, Dick Durbin about uh, he said there's been a call to action and that there should be an enforceable ethics code. But remember, there's a separation of powers issue. Yeah. It's, tar- it's hard to go after them. And only once in American history has a justice actually been pressured to leave the bench. No justice has ever been impeached and convicted. Mm. But back in 1969, Abe Fortas did leave under pressure because of some financial uh, irregularities
1: but this is way out this is a breaking of the norms right but Jonah you can answer both this because I want to get this in before we run out of time but this is just this is an escalation just a series of missteps and controversies surrounding justice Clarence Thomas and his wife and so on
12: yeah you know there may be plenty of other things about other justices that we don't know and we should know, but you're exactly right. I, you know, I'm thinking back to the early start of this year when so much information came out about Ginny Thomas's activities to try to reverse the results of the 2020 election that Joe Biden won. You know, remember the January 6th committee uh, received those text messages that she had written to uh Uh, former President Donald Trump's uh, chief of staff saying we have to, you know, imploring him to do something to, you know, reverse what she saw as such a travesty. And she was so active in trying to challenge the 2020 election results. And then her husband, Clarence Thomas, did not recuse himself from any election-related cases. And maybe he he had reasons for not doing that, but he never said them, Don. This is the whole thing is they never feel like they need to answer. Yesterday, uh, Justice Thomas said nothing and Chief Justice John Roberts said nothing, with, again, the message being, we have it under control here. Trust us. Yeah,
0: that's that's really too bad to not hear from them, especially the chief justice who wants this court yeah. to not be viewed as political. Yeah. So, Joan, that's thank, right. you. Thanks, Joan. Sure. thank you.
2: Great reporting. Thank you. And the ProPublica reporter said that they didn't get a response from At all. Justice
0: Thomas yeah. either. So,
1: I encourage everyone to read that. That's amazing, it's a stunning reporting. report on yep.
0: ProPublica. Power of journalism, that's for sure. Uh, all right, coming up next, the CEO of America's biggest bank says we need to let some banks fail. My exclusive sit-down with Jamie Dimon from J.P. Morgan ahead. Also, his predictions on a potential recession. Has this banking crisis, even though you think it's almost over, which I'm really glad to hear, though increased chances of a recession here? Welcome back to CNN this morning. The banking crisis the U.S. is experiencing right now has pushed us closer to a recession. That is the headline from J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon who told us that and a lot more in his first extensive interview since the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank last month. We went down to Atlanta to sit down with him, where he was taking part in a community center branch opening in the historic district of Summerhill.
13: One mortgage, one business... One uh, account that gets uh, someone to save or helps them get a job. So, one skills. And we do a lot of work with community around community colleges and skills and, and affordable housing. And you can lift up society.
0: This is um, the community center branch here, but you have a lot of them. You opened the first one in Harlem in New York City in 2019. You've got 16 cities now, Atlanta. Why, why do you
14: do this?
13: Yeah. This is a great idea someone had, it wasn't mine called a community branch, so it's bigger, there's a, a community space. It's built by local contractors, think of minority contractors, local food, local art, the lo- artists, uh, you know, p- people put the art up. Uh, when we we hire locally, we have what we call a community manager, so you have a branch manager, traditional, but the community manager gets to know all the local businesses, not-for-profits, religious institutions. We invite people in to learn about mortgages and saving money and starting a business. And it's been unbelievable. and I've been to like 14 of the 16 or so. We've also taken the community manager. We now have 120. That's worked so well. We're putting them in a lot of different communities. So uh, it's just part of what we try to do when we enter a town. We have 30% of our branches or so in lower uh, income neighborhoods. And we just try to lift over neighborhoods and bring in all the things that J.B. Moore and Chase can do to help.
0: One of the things you say, though, because this is part of the $30 billion commitment to black and brown communities across country, but you you're, you explicitly say this isn't charity. Yeah, there's a strong business case.
13: Yeah, that's uh, totally true. And th- there's two things. So those are huge numbers that we say, you know, 12 billion of affordable housing, eight billion of mortgages. But at the end of the day, it takes place at a local a local place. The mortgage loan officer, you know, reaching out to people, helping them through the progress, getting them a homeowner's grant if they need something like that. So that's how it takes place. But when you do it. You know, we're right across from Georgia State University. There are businesses opening up around here, partially because you have a branch in here. Uh, and it lifts up the community, but it's also good business. And you want good business. As these b- businesses come here, they're they're hiring locally. There are paychecks in the neighborhood. And it lifts up everybody. So that's part of the, a, a job of a bank.
0: What's interesting, though, about this time, exactly this moment that we're sitting down, is we're in a rising interest rate environment. And this is harder for folks to get mortgages. You've lamented that reality, especially for low, lower income individuals, especially for lower income individuals in this country right now. Do you think, given the high prices of homes now, the rising interest rate environment, this American dream of owning a home is really no longer for a lot of folks?
13: I think we have to bring it back. You know, if you look at homes, they're, for most people, they're the way they start building family net worth and family wealth. And there are a lot of things to do. So you already see home prices are down in some places. Builders are already making concessions. Uh, we do a lot of special things, you know, special purpose credit for sometimes in, in low-income neighborhoods. I think the government can do a lot of things. So I've, you know, we talk about these things here, but the government can do a lot of things to reduce the cost Better of the mortgage. Better than they're doing now. Absolutely. What? Re- reducing production costs, servicing costs, origination costs, securitization costs, which would make the cost of a small mortgage probably 50 to 75 basis points cheaper. That alone- That's a lot of money a month. That, that's a lot of money a month and it make it available to more people. So and we try to take policies, you know, things we do here, but also worry about what Washington can do to make it easier to accomplish Are controls. they
0: listening
13: to you? I, I've been begging in on this one for a long time. I'm praying, I'm begging. I hope they'll listen to this. Uh, it's so important. And it's, the other important thing is we're not doing it for J.P. Morgan. It won't affect the future J.P. Morgan if we make mortgages more available to lower income folks around America. It's so important for lower-income America, and so you know we won't stop pushing this one until we get it done. Like I think we should double the earn, earn, earned income tax credit. And then You, there is Warren the,
0: Buffett has been saying that for absolutely. years.
13: So for the American public, if you, if someone's, if a, a single parent is uh, with two kids is making fourteen thousand dollars a year, the government gives you six, roughly. If if you don't have children, they give you about six hundred dollars. My view is we need to get more income into neighborhoods. So if you, if you kind of add to that earned income tax credit, I would get rid of the child uh, requirement. requirement. Uh, you get more money into the neighborhoods and that money will be well spent. It will lift up those communities. There'd be nothing like that. And the other thing you got to remember is jobs bring dignity. Jobs bring better social outcomes. You know, jobs, that first job, because sometimes people make fun of the burger flipper job. Very often that burger flipper own, ends up owning the restaurant. I've done it. Exactly. We've all done it. And that first job, that first rung on the ladder. Have you done it? No, but I served in a restaurant. Yes. yes. I learned so much being a
0: waitress. So just
13: getting people to open an account. We've got accounts you can open here, start saving money, thinking about it. A lot of us had the benefit that our mom or dad took us to a branch Mm -hmm. and we started the first passbook. I remember that. And then you see your money go from like $84.75 to $85.17. It's like that was magic. There's a God. You know, like, interest. And so people learn, and and we want that to take place here. You know, we don't want people to be afraid to walk into a branch here. You know, come as you are, bring your kids, you know, learn what you're doing. That's why the community manager is so important, because a lot of people, you know, look at a bank, and they're going to walk by. That's not what they're comfortable with, and we want this community to be very comfortable walking in here.
0: I just read your annual letter that just came out this week, and... Let's dive into the banking crisis, because you write a lot about it. Is the current banking crisis
13: over? This is not 2008, okay? This is uh, much more limited. There are only a handful of banks that had this particular problem. Uh, They'll eventually be resolved one way or another. And I think then people should take a deep breath. In a week or two, a lot of these banks can be reporting earnings. I think they'll probably be pretty good. The Federal Reserve made some, you know, bold dramatic moves to help it easier for some of the issues they had. And I'm hoping it will resolve you know, rather shortly.
0: You're hoping. but
13: Hoping, yeah. But is
0: the crisis over? You wrote in your letter, there will be repercussions for years to come.
13: Well, that's, that's different. I think th- those repercussions are regulatory. like think, And, you know, I acknowledge, think, obviously, when you have a problem, things need to change. But, you know, I'm begging the regulators, let's, let's take a deep breath. There are hundreds of rules. You know, you have to be very careful. What do you want in the banking system? What do you want out? How do you make it easier for community banks and regional banks? How do you reduce their cost, not increase their costs, on the, but also make it safe?
0: Do you expect more banks to fail this year?
13: I, I don't know. But if there are, I don't, honestly, they'll be resolved and it'll probably be the last of them. I think, I think we'll get near the end of this particular crisis and fewer financial institutions. Remember, in 08, it was hundreds of institutions around the world. Far too much leverage. We don't have that huge problems in mortgage markets we don't have that this is nothing like that and the american public shouldn't think that this will resolve and then we should go look at you know what went wrong and fix it you know in the clean uh, in the light of day
0: well so then then what was it if this is coming to an end is this a situation like you know warren buffett famously said only when the tie goes out do you learn who's been swimming naked were these yeah. banks swimming naked
13: yeah so i said there's hiding in plain sight everyone knew about uninsured deposits everyone knew about interest rate exposure Everyone knew about health and maturity portfolios. The only difference, the only real difference was we called concentrated clients. So Silicon Valley Bank had you know, a handful of people who controlled 35,000 corporate accounts, and they just left You know, $140 billion or something over course of, uh, a course of two days. That's not happening to other regional banks. Well, what, they don't have that issue, n- nor do they have all these other issues. So it was only a handful that, were that much offsides.
0: But then what's going on with First Republic? I mean, you led the effort to swoop in $30 billion from you and your fellow banks to try to steady First Republic. And you've acknowledged we don't even know yet if that worked.
13: Yeah, so that was an attempt to try to resolve, help give them time to resolve a situation. We represent them, so I really can't talk about any more than that. And we hope it resolves one way or another. So uh, that will come in the future. But I don't don't think this is that kind of crisis that you're going to have it ongoing forever. It will be... Now, Warren Buffett said when the tide goes out, you mentioned something else, rising rates is that tide going out. And if that tide goes out a lot, so I would tell people, be prepared for higher rates. I don't know that's it's going to happen, but be prepared be so prepared. you're not in that tide. No, you think so, the
0: Fed raises again in May?
13: Well, there are two rates. One is the short okay. rate. I do not know what they're going to do. And obviously, they may not because of finance. You know, financial conditions but there's also longer rates and that has a different effect and that the Fed does not control directly that's controlled by global investors sentiment supply and demand and that's gotten bad for sovereign debt okay so you know to me yes you have a chance that long rates will be going up and people might have to get used to higher for longer
0: higher for longer yeah get ready for that I
13: believe that is a I, I think it has a higher outcome than other people I'm not predicting it right
0: Is the American banking system truly safe and secure?
13: Yes. I mean, the the banks have extraordinary liquidity, extraordinary capital. When they report earnings next quarter, the earnings are gonna be quite good in my opinion. They can handle not just one stress test, but multiple ways of being stressed. That's
0: the big guys who have to abide by all those requirements. I'm talking about the midsize and little guys that don't anymore.
13: Well, they, they have far more requirements than you think. So I don't think it was the requirement. Some people think that they were the loosened on. That rollback literally had nothing to do with it. How do you know? Because they had the same internal liquidity requirements, stress requirements, reporting requirements, supervisory requirements. They made mistakes.
0: It was different if they were under $250 billion in assets. Not
13: as much as you think.
0: So all those senators yeah. that are saying it was wrong to roll them back, Democrats rolled it back, too, some of them. Yeah. Those senators are wrong?
13: Yeah. You know, look—it's not again. When you talk about regulations, that's, they're looking at one thing, and I'm looking at multiple others. So they had high liquidity requirements, high capital requirements. They met the requirements. They had too much interest rate exposure, and things should change. But they were not yeah. out of line with super—you know—with regulations. Well, and it wasn't the regulatory change; it was other things. And by in life, that's going to happen. Now, this notion that somehow you can make everything perfect is wrong.
0: I know, we, but we you know don't the, want big, well-known banks to collapse?
13: No, you don't. But what you also really want is that every now and then something will happen and the system can handle it in due course. Let them and collapse. That's what the, yes. The, the, if failure is okay. You just don't want this domino effect. And so when you have a bank run, you end up with some kind of a domino effect. So I guess my point is we, sh- we, we are close to it, get to the point where a bank can fail and it doesn't have this kind of effect. Okay. And I think just monitoring, changing a few things can get much, much closer to that.
1: Is the American banking system safe? Yes. yes. In fact, like no hesitation, nothing, just emphatic. Really
0: yes. important to hear from him.
2: I yeah. guarantee you every lawmaker on Capitol Hill is watching that. And for him to say failure is OK and some banks should be allowed to fail. Yeah. And that he says the rollbacks and the regulations, which has been the center of all of this, that that did not contribute to this, is fascinating.
0: Yeah. Well, look, there is a question of what the bank, a banker's view is. And what a lawmaker is. Who because. voted on it. Who <laughs> voted on it. And the truth is somewhere in, in the middle, but people have different perspectives. And when Jamie Dimon talks about this stuff, yeah, markets listen and Washington talk? listen.
1: What, what, not many. See, because we were talking. He cares.
0: Why does Jamie Dimon? He doesn't do a lot of interviews. But he does. He sits down and talks because this matters a lot. He, you know, saw this through us, through the 2008 almost collapse. I remember. Right? Acquired Bear Stearns and Washington Mutual. You know, on that crazy weekend. And now he cares a lot about, as do the lawmakers in Washington, what mm-hmm. happens to our financial system? We all have a stake in it.
2: And whether you agree or disagree with what he says. Amazing that he actually answers the question. Yeah.
0: I, why, the like Lawmakers
2: know. to CEOs. That's so
0: yeah. rare.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's but weird. not give, you know, talking points.
2: We,
0: um, we asked him some questions you'll see later that he didn't want to answer. Um, <laughs> but Jamie Dimon has a stark warning about the death ceiling and the risk of even coming close to the brink that's ahead. Right.
1: Well, this morning, the Biden administration is proposing rule changes for transgender student athletes, why some schools could still be able to limit those students' participation. Back, everyone. You might recognize that house we just showed that was the White House. And this morning, the Biden administration is proposing a new federal rule change that would allow schools to impose some restrictions on transgender athletes, but it also prevents schools from categorically banning those students from participating on sports teams that match their gender identity. CNN's Arlette signs live at the White House with more this morning. Good morning, Arlette. Explain this rule and, and why now?
15: Good morning, Don. The Biden administration had really been working for some time to try to offer some clarity as many states across the country have implemented laws on transgender athletes. Now, this would be an update to Title IX, that federal law which bars schools from ban- uh, from discriminating on the basis of sex. And for the most part, uh, kids who are in elementary, transgender kids in elementary school would generally still be able to participate in sports that align with their gender identity. But it is when the- these kids get into more competitive levels like high school and college where there could be some restrictions. The rule would provide schools with flexibility to quote, identify their own educational objectives. They say that could include ensuring fairness or trying to prevent uh, sports related injuries. It would also require schools to take into consideration the nature of the sports when they're enacting any types of restrictions. Now this is a hot button issue with many Republican led states across the country implementing outright bans on transgender students uh, in sports. The White House has said that that amounts to legislative bullying and that they stand with transgender kids. Now there has been that mixed reaction, LGBTQ advocacy groups are concerned that this could pave the way for more discrimination, uh, while Republicans don't want the federal government to get involved on this matter.
1: All right, and we'll follow. Arlette Sines from the White House this morning. Thank you.
15: Also this morning, a new report looks at the
2: chaotic withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan, but where the Biden administration is placing the blame next. The White House releasing a review of that chaotic withdrawal of American troops from Afghanistan in 2021, this released to Congress. The Pentagon and the State Department cl- completed their separate after-action findings as they're known. It's classified, but a 12-page summary was also released yesterday. The White House is putting much of the blame for what happened on the Trump administration.
9: Well, while it was always the president's intent to end that war, it is also undeniable that decisions made and the lack of planning done by the previous administration significantly limited options available to him.
2: CNN's Natasha Bertrand is live at the Pentagon this morning. Natasha, this document is really fascinating because we are hearing from officials who say, yeah, this could have happened sooner, this could have happened better, but they're not really acknowledging a lot of the mistakes uh, that were made during that.
6: Caitlin, this document that the National Security Council released yesterday was really a full-throated defense of how they handled the withdrawal from Afghanistan in 2021. They said that they were severely limited by the decisions that the Trump administration made, namely that agreement between the former former president Trump and the Taliban, whereby U.S. troops would be forced to withdraw by May 2021. So the Biden administration says they were really left with very limited options here for how to handle this withdrawal. That being said, they did acknowledge that there are certain things that, moving forward, they have learned from that episode, namely, they're going to prioritize earlier evacuations. That was the one big thing that they have gotten criticized, arguably, the most about, which is that they did not begin those evacuations of American personnel, U.S. citizens in Afghanistan, and of course, Afghans who had helped the military over 20 years much sooner. Now, their argument for not doing so is that they did not want to uh, erode confidence in the Afghan government at the time. But they now say they're going to err on the side of earlier evacuations, warning Americans sooner to get out of these secure these environments where the security situation is rapidly deteriorating. Caitlin,
2: yeah, we know Republicans in Congress are also looking into this. They're not too pleased with this document. Natasha Bertrand, thank you for those main takeaways.
6: We have been
0: closely following the case of Richard Glossop. He has spent a quarter of a century on death row. For the death of his boss, why now the Oklahoma Attorney General is requesting his conviction be vacated? Well, this morning, Oklahoma's Attorney General has filed a motion to vacate the conviction of this man. That is Richard Glossop. He is facing execution for the third time, by the way. He's facing an execution date of May 18th after nearly 25 years on death row. This case now heads down to an appeals court. Glossop was convicted twice and sentenced to death for ordering the 1997 killing of his boss. People have since come forward claiming the person who actually carried out the murder set up Glossop. Ed Lavandero joins us live in Dallas with more Ed. I know we've been following this case for a really long time. This is something that has garnered bipartisan support. A number of Republicans who are pro-death penalty in the state have said to prosecutors, you got this wrong with Glossop. And now the AG is speaking.
16: And just to highlight how intense this has been, Richard Glossop has had his execution date scheduled nine times, three times he's been served his last meal only to get a last minute reprieve. So imagine all of that. The Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals has denied hearing new evidence multiple times, but this time Richard Glossop now has the support of the state's attorney general who says that he can no longer stand behind this murder conviction. And the attorney general of Oklahoma goes on to say that this is not to say that I believe Glossop is innocent, However, it is critical that Oklahomans have absolute faith that the death penalty is administered fairly and with certainty. Considering everything I know about this case, I do not believe that justice is served by executing a man based on the testimony of a compromised witness. And what the attorney general is referring to there is that another man convicted in this case, Justin Sneed, who was the man who confessed to actually murdering their boss where the two men worked at the time. And he had uh, Sneed has since... Uh, kind of started to recant his confession and pinpointing um, uh, Richard Glossop as uh, the man who hired him to carry out this murder. Mm -hmm. Uh, That has come out in new investigations. So all of this information now going to the Oklahoma Court of Mm -hmm. Criminal Appeals. And obviously Glossop's side is hoping that this saves his life.
0: Equal justice under law is what everyone deserves. And thanks to 3,000 hours of pro bono work by, by lawyers, we're at this point. So we'll follow it. Ed, thank you. CNN This Morning continues now.
10: Dozens of rockets fired from Lebanon. The Israeli military announced new strikes
5: on both Gaza and Lebanon. Two days after Israeli forces stormed one
17: of Islam's holiest sites.
5: I hear the siren. I hear the boom. It was very, very scary. The UN's peacekeeping force in Lebanon stressed that neither
16: side wants another war. One week ago, we had members take it upon themselves to rush the well and stop the people's business. At no point did we
4: encourage violence.
5: We are still here and we
12: will never quit. Justice Thomas's luxury trips with a GOP mega-donor. ProPublica revealing decades of perks the Supreme Court justice received from Texas billionaire Harlan Crow.
18: What struck us in this reporting was just the, the frequency of these trips and just the lavishness.
3: The revelations in this report have critics in Congress calling to impose serious ethical rules on the highest court in the land.
0: You say better regulation would not have prevented? No, no, it would have. It would have. So what's better?
13: I think very often when it comes to regulations, you have, this is the problem, they try to fix that. But it often has unintended consequences. If you want healthy regional banks, community banks, you should also listen to them.
0: You said if you don't worry in this business, you're crazy. What are you most worried about right now?
7: The 87th Masters here at Augusta is well and truly underway. But the real question is, what's the best Masters snap?
16: Obviously, the pimento cheese is a big thing. Even an egg salad, too. A Georgia peach ice cream sandwich. Dessert? Oh my god, yeah.
1: Yeah, everything this morning, even food. But good morning, everyone. We begin with some uh, really stressing news that is coming out of the Middle East. We're following the serious escalation there of violence this morning. Overnight, Israel launching a string of airstrikes on Lebanon and Gaza. They say they carried out the strike in retaliation against Palestinian militants. Here's how we got to this point. On Wednesday, police in Israel, that raid of Al-Aqsa, the mosque there, one of Islam's holiest sites, video showed police shooting rubber bullets and beating worshipers. Then they stormed the mosque a second time just hours later. And on Thursday, Palestinian militants fired more than 30 rockets from Lebanon into Israeli territory. That is according to Israeli forces. They say that's why they retaliated overnight, by striking targets in Lebanon and Gaza. Sinan's Hadas goal live for us near the Israel-Lebanon border with more Hadass. Good morning. There has already been more violence this morning. What is happening at this hour?
10: Yeah, Don, we are right along the border with Lebanon. You can actually see it on that hill just behind me. And the past few hours have been calm here, despite the fact that the airspace is still closed. And those airstrikes in southern Lebanon, now the Israeli military saying it was striking specifically Palestinian militant locations. They are seemingly taking pains, not to say that they are targeting the Hezbollah militant group, which would of course potentially open this up to a much bigger conflict. Now Lebanese security sources telling CNN that these strikes hit what they called militia targets and weapons hid by armed groups in agricultural areas. There have been no injuries reported in southern Lebanon. And both the Lebanese government and the Israeli military are making sound and saying things that they essentially do not want this to escalate, especially up here, into something bigger. Now, most of the action has been down south in Gaza. The Israeli military launching several airstrikes overnight, they say targeting Hamas, things like tunnels, uh, they say weapons manufacturing sites, machine gun sites, and the like. And at least 44 rockets were fired by militants, from Gaza into Israel overnight as well. But once again, thankfully, no injuries have been reported on either side, although there have been damages reported on either side, including to a children's hospital in Gaza. But again, thankfully, no one seems to have been hurt. Israelis in the area of Gaza have been told that they can go about their daily business. They don't have to stay close to shelters. That gives you an indication things are calm. But the Israeli military are telling me that they have called up extra air force reservists, specifically fighter pilots and air defense Specialists. But there has been injuries and violence, in fact, two Israeli women were killed, a third actually their mother, critically injured in the occupied West Bank in what officials are calling a Palestinian shooting attack. It just goes to show you how many fronts there are currently right now going on all at the same time. Of course, our eyes are still on Jerusalem, where there are actually demonstrations going on at the Al-Aqsa uh, Mosque compound in, in response to what is going on all around here. Don?
1: And we will continue to follow. Thank you, Hadass.
10: And back here in the U.S.,
2: protesters filled the state capitol in Tennessee yesterday as Republicans who control that house voted to expel two young black Democrats from the state house. <laughs> the lawmakers who had an idea of what their fate was going to be were defiant, raising their fists as they walked in for those votes. This all came one week after they and another member staged a protest on the House floor, including with a bullhorn, demanding gun reform after three nine-year-old students and three adults were killed at Covenant Elementary School in Nashville, a school that is just miles away from the state capitol. A crowd of protesters booing and shouting from the balcony above as the Republicans voted to expel these two Democrats. Following that, the two lawmakers vowed to keep protesting, whether that's inside or outside the room.
4: They thought they won today, but they don't on. realize.
19: Yeah.
4: Yeah. They don't yeah. realize what they have started. Yeah. They started a movement they can't stop. Expelled the two youngest black lawmakers
13: that's right.
4: yeah. for standing with our constituents who are demanding that we take action on the crisis of mass shootings. Yeah.
2: This has gotten the attention of the White House, President Biden himself weighing in in a statement saying that the expulsion of the lawmakers who engaged in peaceful protest is shocking, undemocratic, and without precedent. Notably, of course, and this is a big part of all of this, a third Democrat who is a white woman and was also up for expulsion for protesting with them survived her expulsion vote narrowly, just by one vote. Afterwards, she cried and embraced the two other Democrats this all comes as a top Tennessee Republican last night defended the decision to kick the lawmakers out of the legislature legislature for breaking the rules and disrupting decorum.
8: I brought our caucus together several times since last Thursday to ask the body what we as a group wanted to do. The overwhelming majority, the heartbeat of this caucus says, not on this House floor, not this way. We're going to talk about, get the reaction from that and more. Joining us now, one of the two state representatives
1: who was expelled last night, and that is Justin Jones. Justin, good morning to you. I really appreciate you, you joining us. I know you haven't had any sleep, and I have to commend you right off on the way that you have conducted yourself, you and your colleagues. It has been notable, and so thank you for joining us. This has captured the, intention, the attention so of mo- the country. Your message to the nation this so morning much, after having been expelled. How are you feeling?
4: Sorry. Thank you so much for having me this morning, Don. Sorry, I'm, I'm operating on very little sleep. No need to apologize that, um, at what all. Happ- what, <laughs> what happened yesterday was, was a very sad day for democracy, not just in Tennessee, but in this nation. And so... Um, I think that there's a lot of thoughts going through my head. Um, the, the House Republicans um, chairman, who you just saw in this video, is still doubling down, even though he is the same Republican chairman who, who, who engaged in, in inappropriate behavior and is still in leadership, as you can see, um, and was not expelled. But, you know, we have been expelled for standing with our constituents, but I have no regrets. It will continue to speak up for District 52 and for Tennesseans um, who are demanding change.
1: Let's, let's talk a little bit more about your colleague. You're talking about Jeremy Faison. He's a Republican caucus chair in the State House. Last night, it, it, he did an interview uh, with my colleague, Caitlin Collins, and he said he was wondering why you haven't apologized. Let's listen, and then we'll get your response.
8: I, I'd like to add to y'all, they've, they've not backed down from that either. He, you know, I, I told them earlier today, I, I feel like if they would have said, you know what, we messed up. I mean, what American, what human won't bring forgiveness and redemption, but they doubled down and went so far as to stand in the well today and said, I'd do it again. I mean, you haven't apologized. What what is your response to that?
4: I mean, I think Representative Faison um, needs to reflect on his own actions as a representative. Um, just, a few, you know, earlier this year, uh, last year, um, Representative Faison pulled down the pants of a referee because he got mad at a basketball game. And he's still in Republican leadership, not expelled, not sanctioned in any way. And so for him to tell us to apologize um, for standing up for our constituents, I, I told the speaker, and I told that body yesterday that I would apologize when they apologize to the families uh, in Covenant and, and in the mass shootings across this nation, particularly but particularly in our state, at, at Covenant and Antioch, um, in the, the Waffle House mass shooting, for these reckless gun laws that they passed that allowed um, people to lose their loved ones. Apologize to the families of the victims of these mass shootings, and we will apologize for our, for our actions.
1: I think I know the answer to this, but I have to ask you anyway, just for the record, so you could be reelected. Do you want to serve again,
4: Justin? I mean, definitely. I think what happened was a travesty of democracy because it—they um, expelled the two youngest Black lawmakers, which is no coincidence, um, from the Tennessee Legislature. Um, because we are outspoken, because we fight for our district, and I, I would you know, want to continue to do that. And I, whether I'm inside the chamber or outside the chamber. Um, because what we saw in Tennessee yesterday was, was an attack on democracy and, and, and a very overt racism. As you can see, that the two youngest black lawmakers were kicked out, but our, our colleague, my dear sister Gloria Johnson, a white woman, was not. And we see clearly, the nation has seen clearly what is going on in Tennessee.
1: Yeah, listen, um, to say there's a double standard, some people may sort of speculate about it, but I think it is obvious considering that the two black members who were men, right, were, were expelled, but the white woman was not. What do you wanna say to that? Speak more,
4: please. I wanna say that this is what we've been challenging all session was, a very toxic racist work environment where we are not even allowed to speak. That's why we went to the well, because the speaker wouldn't call on us. He cut off our microphones. He he ruled us out of order any time we brought up the issue of gun violence. And um, when I went outside to support the protesters, he turned off my voting machine so I couldn't even cast a vote on the House floor. I mean, this is what we've dealt with all session. And yesterday the, the nation was able to see that we don't have democracy in Tennessee, particularly when it comes to black and brown communities. And so, you know, what we saw yesterday was an attack on this future of a multiracial democracy. But we, we, we are the state where the birthplace of the, you know, of the Klan. We're a state where we had a, a KKK statue in our Capitol um, until very recently. And, and we protested to have that removed. But what they're trying to do is to bring us back to days that we don't want to go to. If I didn't know this happened to me, I would think that this was 1963 instead of 2023. If
1: the Nashville City Council next week wants to appoint you as an interim representative to your district, you would do it? Most definitely. Yes. Let's talk about the issue. Let me ask you, why? why, Considering all everything that has happened right now, why even go through all the rigmarole?
4: Because it's important to let them know that democracy, we will fight for democracy. We will fight for a multiracial democracy. And so this, this extreme tactic to expel us and to try and humiliate us has only put a spotlight of the world on Tennessee. And so I will go back because fighting for the future, I'm 27 years old, fighting for the future that I want to live in, that I want my children to live in, it's worth whatever sacrifice that, that we have to give, whether it's being expelled, whether it's, it's being in a hostile environment, because I, I want to create a community that our young people cannot just survive, but they can thrive and flourish. And, and that's what we were asking. The most very basic thing was to ban assault weapons so we can stop these mass shootings. Instead, they responded by assaulting democracy. And that is shameful and it's very scary. Do you think you can work with them? There's so much opposition there. I mean, we are the voice of the, of the opposition party. Our role, there's in, in our party, there was only 24 um, members. Now there's 22, 75 Republicans. Um, our role was to be a speed bump, to try and stop them from driving this train off off the cliff so that we no longer have democracy. I mean, our job was to be a voice of moral dissent. Our, our job was to be a voice of check on power. That was what we did, and that's what we did every day we were in the body, which is why they expelled us. Because in every committee I was on, I, I stood up and spoke out and on the House floor. We're some of the most outspoken members, and they retaliated, not because of that one incidence of us going to the well and joining those young people protesting gun violence, but because they, they got tired and did not feel like young black men have a right to be at the same dais as them. They felt like young black men don't have the right to sit in the chamber with them. They don't see us as equal. Uh, the House Speaker Cameron Sexton has trafficked in the rhetoric of racism. He's trafficked in the rhetoric of racialized narratives. And so we know what we're facing, but, but it's worth whatever sacrifice we have to make because we, the future we want to live in um, is, is, is what we're working for.
1: One last thing. In an odd way, this has given you a very big, a much bigger platform Right? The White House is weighing in, the current and the former White House, current and former presidents both weighing in on this. How do you tend to use that newly garnered platform, elevated platform that you have?
4: I mean, what. What our protest was about when we went to the well to stand with these young people was to ele- elevate their voices. And so with this platform, we hope to continue to lift up the issues that, w- that a week after mass shooting, I, represent a part of, I represented a part of Nashville. And our community still grieve. Our community is in trauma. These young people are begging us to say, we want to live in schools. We must continue to lift up the issues. And like I told my colleagues who expelled me, no matter if they vote to expel me or not, what I did was for their children and grandchildren too. We want their children and grandchildren to be safe from mass shootings. We want them to live lives where they can flourish and be children and not have to do active shooter drills or live in schools that look like militarized zones. And so we'll continue to lift up the issue and we'll continue to speak truth to power. And, and, and I'll be back at the Capitol on Monday on the outside with those protesting, demanding action from my former colleagues. Justin Jones, we appreciate you joining us. Our regards, best, to you to, best of everything to
1: you and your colleagues. Thank you so much. Thank you. Quite, um, they quite a didn't, conversation. Black young black men don't deserve the same have the same platform as them. That was pretty huge.
0: Quite a conversation. Quite a conversation. Let's keep it going. said Herndon is with us from the New York Times, national political reporter. I said, thanks so much. Thank you. Look, um, I think there is something important that came from this expulsion, and it has put the nation, if not the world's, mm-hmm. attention on what's happening in state houses. Yeah across the country that we often ignore when we pay attention more to D.C. Yeah. Um, You really dive into this issue of gerrymandering in in your new New York Times podcast, a run-up, which is great. Thank you. Let's talk about Tennessee, though. How do we get to a place where Nashville, writ large, is not very represented in that state house. I
14: mean, it it is a story that's really core to this, is because, you know, to hear the representative, he says they're doing this because they don't want black men at the table. I think that's true. They're also doing this because they can't. The, the, the Republicans in that state legislature have a supermajority that has been meticulously drawn through these state legislatures. And what we see across the country is when this happens, it is not uh, it empowers that party to be able to do whatever it wants. And so this yes. Nashville, uh, Nashville, which was really a blue dot in that red state, mm-hmm. has been carved up uh, uh, over the last Years, and that's really allowed them to write out not only public opinion on issues right. like guns, but also to be able to silence those voices that are coming from Nashville. And that and that is something that uh, they're doing intentionally. Jeff Greenfield writes in Politico. Um,
0: about this, right? But what if a legislature decides to ex- exercise its power just because it can?
14: Yeah. yeah, and that's the key point, is that they don't have to listen to other voices. This is what gerrymandering does. It's the real tangible impact of something that can seem really academic and, and out of touch, is that it allows lawmakers really to not be able to have to listen to folks who are coming from the other side, or listen to people in urban areas, or black and brown voices who are concentrated in democratic cities. If those voices are cut out of the process, it allows folks to be able to do something like kick out two representatives who we should say are probably going to come back this was done just mm. to be a humbling of two young black representatives this was not done for a real political purpose. <clears throat> these are folks who and I think the representative is right when you talk when you were reading yesterday about folks locally this is built up for a long time and this is not just about the actions that happened recently but uh, uh, but but uh, but a body that can basically say who you are and the type of politics you represent, uh, we can cut it out at any moment. And I think this, these actions this week were sent as an intentional reminder of that power.
2: Yeah. And is it a taste of what's to come? I mean, look what just North Carolina, they just got a supermajority yeah. there with Republicans as well. The other aspect of it that you can't ignore is how young they are. Yeah. And the question of this being a generational thing. You know, we had that Republican on last night and he's talking about they need to apologize, decorum mm-hmm. and what that looks like. There is a point that you can't, when you just disagree with something, take a bullhorn and go to the well, as Mm -hmm. it's known. Mm -hmm. There is a point to that. But what we question about is, you know, why take this route? Why take the most extreme route? Why not go to the ethics committee or do a Mm -hmm. century or something like that? How much of this is also generational in the way people who are in their 20s and early 30s view decorum? Versus other members.
14: Absolutely. I think that's really core to it is that there is not that same kind of deference to norms and decorum that you see among younger lawmakers. But I think that's tied back to even that gerrymandering point. Because systems are so broken, you hear young uh, lawmakers and younger electorate basically say that they don't care about the rules as much because going through the process has not yielded them political results. And so things that pressure Lawmakers have to be used as tactics. And so, you know, I think it really flows out of the same brokenness yeah. that we were describing earlier. But it is key to really understanding uh, how that disconnect really develops because it's somewhat ideological. It definitely has a race-based element. But I think there is also a sense of decorum that this younger generation who is saying, I am not waiting for incremental change, I'm going to demand more now, is bucking up against the
1: Decorum over- gets in the way of progress. It <laughs> has gotten in the way of progress. And if you look at the start of the civil rights movement, People are saying, well, can you please, can you please? Absolutely. I would like to, I would like to. Mm -hmm. At some point, you just go, stop! (laughs) I'm not going to deal with this anymore. (laughs) And you take a bullhorn, and you go to the well. Yeah, I mean... And and that's what they did. And quite honestly, that's what they should do when people are dying. When issues are so important that people's lives are in jeopardy, taking a bullhorn to the well, is not a big... It's it's beyond... uh, It's stunning to me. Taking a bull hole into the well is what you should do
14: Yeah.
16: yeah. when
1: people... That is the least of what you should be doing when people are dying.
14: Because what's the biggest grievance here? Is it that decorum was messed up by these lawmakers? Is it the response? Or is it the original act that has cost folks lives, right? Like, we can move away from the actual tangible issue that was being protested here when we focus on things like decorum. But when you heard, you know, folks, folks like President Obama weighing in, talking about civility, talking about the break of decorum, and rules or polarization and the divisions in society. I think those words paper over some stuff too. This is not a both sides Mm, polarization. Type thing. This is asymmetric polarization. This is one party that has changed in much different ways, even than the Democratic Party has changed. Mm. And so when you hear a Republican base, they are much more willing to use their power to to really see the, to really cut, cut the other side out of the process. They're really more willing to see the other side as inherently invalid in that Democratic process. And that is unique to the Republican side. That's not one to one between r and D. A yeah. humbling process. It's
1: the best thing you said. In my estimation, you said a lot of good things, but that was this was. <laughs> no, a no, I think that's what this was.
14: Yeah, yeah,
2: and we'll see what Monday looks like when when they're back. And I think the other thing that's important to remember, and I think we have their photos, is the six. Yeah. What, what's at the heart of this? The six people who were killed in mm. that Covenant school shooting, including those three, th- those three nine-year-olds, the three adults. Uh, we'll show you their pictures here. We do. We, we have that moment just of, of what's at the heart of this, I think, is what's so important and to remember. what didn't get acted on.
0: Right. That's because right. these expulsions right. did.
2: Yeah.
1: And those lives are worth. And
2: there they are. Evelyn, Hallie, William, Cynthia,
0: Catherine, and Mike.
1: Those yeah. lives are worth a bullhorn, right?
0: Ased uh, Herndon, thank you. Thank you all. Thank you. Coming up for us, luxury vacations around the world, a free trip on a mega yacht. Coming up, a new report, a stunning report that a GOP mega donor funded numerous luxury vacations for Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas that went undisclosed.
11: I prefer the RV parks. I prefer the Walmart parking lots to the beaches and things like that. There's something normal to me about it. I come from regular stock, and I prefer that. I prefer being around that.
0: RV parks and Walmart parking lots, that is what you just heard from Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. That was him in a recent documentary. Well, Republican donor Harlan Crow helped fund, well, ProPublica published an explosive report yesterday saying Crow actually treated Justice Thomas to the opposite. Lavish trips, including one with a private jet to Indonesia. Trips Justice Thomas didn't properly disclose. Correspondent Tom Foreman with the details.
3: International travel on private jets, luxury accommodations on a super yacht, and top shelf hospitality every step of the way. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and his wife Jenny enjoyed it all for free, according to an investigation by the nonprofit group ProPublica. So who footed the bill? Texas real estate tycoon and Republican mega donor Harlan Crow. We found that uh, Thomas has been taking,
20: luxury trips from this dallas billionaire virtually every year for over twenty years
3: trips to california texas georgia new zealand and just a few years ago
20: mister crow flew thomas to indonesia on his private jet and then took him island hopping for nine days on his super yacht uh, staffed by stewardesses and a private chef. and we talked to We talked to, you know, we were told that if you were to charter that jet and that yacht yourself, it could easily cost over $500,000.
3: The report says often fellow travelers included big business people and the heads of prominent conservative groups. And it says Crow once gave Thomas a $19,000 Bible that belonged to the legendary abolitionist Frederick Douglass. Thomas declared that gift and some of the travel in his public financial filings, but the report says not most of it. CNN received no response to the report from a Supreme Court spokesperson, and in a written statement, Crow said this is just friendship. We have never asked about a pending or lower court case, and Justice Thomas has never discussed one. I am unaware of any of our friends ever lobbying or seeking to influence Justice Thomas on any case, and I would never invite anyone who I believe had any intention of doing that. Still, the revelations in this report have critics in Congress calling for swift and decisive action to impose serious ethical rules on the highest court in the land and every person who sits on it. Poppy, Caitlin, Don? Oh,
0: thank you, Tom, for that. Those, those calls are loud from Congress to do something. There's not a lot, as Joan said to us last hour, Congress can do separation of powers. The Supreme Court has, like, supreme power over what ethics rules it decides to impose on itself.
2: Yeah. yeah, and Congressman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is saying that he should be impeached over it. Obviously, that's That Thomas not, should? Yeah, it's not likely, but we will see what lawmakers, when they're back on Capitol Hill- never we'll, seen us from yeah. court justice. Yeah, Oh, you can this, this
1: is a flouting of the norms, but where does that get you?
0: We don't know. Right, yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. remarkable. Okay. Also this morning, a bipartisan congressional delegation have, has arrived in Taiwan. Despite those escalating threats from China to lawmakers, this is something you do not see every day. From both sides of the aisle who are on that trip, they're going to join us live from Taipei. Amid growing tensions with China, a bipartisan group of lawmakers have just arrived in Taiwan for a number of high-level talks with Taiwanese government officials. This comes on the heels of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy's sit-down with the Thai president in California, despite threats from China. Joining us from Taipei this morning are two members of the delegation that are there, Democratic Congresswoman Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania and Republican Congressman Mike Lawler of New York. Both are members of the Foreign Affairs Committee, and thank you to you both for being here. Congressman, I'll start with you. What are you hoping to, what kind of message are you hoping to send with this visit?
20: Well, thanks for having us, Caitlin. Uh, I think this is a strong bipartisan endeavor uh, into the Indo-Pacific. We went to Japan, South Korea, uh, and now Taiwan, uh, as well as meeting with our service troops in uh, Hawaii and Guam. And so uh, this has been uh, an extraordinary CODEL led by Chairman McCall of the uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee. Uh, And I think we've accomplished a lot in terms of gathering information, Uh, with respect to our allies here in the Indo-Pacific, their concerns, obviously, uh, with the uh, threats coming uh, from uh, China, uh, but also the importance of our relationship between the United States uh, and our allies, both economically, militarily, uh, and from a national security perspective. And so uh, I think we have uh, learned a lot, for sure, uh, but also uh, have a lot of work to do when we get back to Washington. And uh, this is a great bipartisan uh, issue. Uh, and I think we've uh, had a great time uh, traveling to the Indo-Pacific together.
2: And Congresswoman, you are quite experienced on Capitol Hill. You know well you know, what kind of moment we're in when it comes to politics on Capitol Hill. I'm not hearing the question. Maybe uh, Congressman Lawler, you can you can tell her, I, just to see this moment of bipartisanship, to see a Democrat and a Republican sitting down together to have this conversation, to make this visit and the significance of that, given where we are in politics in 2023.
19: I did. Right, so I, I got the end of it. Got it. Okay. So, thank you, Caitlin. I'm having a little trouble hearing. Uh, it is very important uh, as we are in this year uh, of conflict around the globe Uh, to show a really united front. It was important to Chairman McCall that we have a bipartisan uh, CODEL, and we had the chance, as Mike said, uh, to first start in Hawaii and meet with our troops there, uh, to meet with the Indo-Pacific Command, and to understand uh, really the gravity of all that is going on here militarily. Uh, I have to tell you how impressed I am with our military folks. Uh, Anytime you sit down with them or have lunch with them, they're just dedicated Uh, individuals, but then to go from there to go to Guam and see uh, more members of the military there to go on to Japan uh, and then to South Korea uh, gave us a terrific perspective of our rock solid allies uh, in Japan and South Korea as we came to Taiwan. I really want to say that I'm I'm happy that Congress is uh, really united on our support for Taiwan, both economically in its economic security and in our trade relationships. Uh, as I hope we build this year, uh, a bipartisan trade agreement, but also, of course, militarily, uh, for deterrence. We know that the best uh, uh, thing that we can do, that Taiwan can do, uh, is deterrence, in order to protect peace. This is a people uh, that are peace-loving. That's one of the really terrific things about this trip, is to meet the people of Taiwan, understand their prosperity, their, their hopes for their children and their future, Uh, They're a peace loving people. And so we support them in their deterrence against any aggression.
2: And speaking of that deterrence, you know, there are a lot of weapons shipments that the U.S. has promised to Taiwan. They haven't all made it there. A lot of them have not. How important is it and what are you hearing from officials there about expediting the delivery of those weapons?
20: Well, that is certainly one of their concerns that they have raised with us Uh, during our conversations. And we're going to be meeting with President Tsai tomorrow. Uh, Obviously, she had a meeting in California with Speaker McCarthy and another bipartisan delegation uh, of Congress. Uh, And that is one of the biggest concerns. I think one of the lessons learned uh, from the Russian uh, invasion of Ukraine uh, is the need to ensure uh, that our allies, uh, and in this situation, Taiwan, have the support and the resources that they need. We made a commitment to them to uh, provide them with weapons that they have purchased. We need to fulfill that commitment uh, and expedite this process. And I think that's one of the takeaways uh, from our trip that we wanna look at ways that we can, uh, from a legislative standpoint, expedite the process both on the front end and on the production end uh, to make sure that these weapons are getting there soon. Because at the end of the day, Uh, As Madeline pointed out, deterrence is the key word, and nobody wants conflict uh, in Taiwan or in the Taiwan Strait. We want to avoid that. But as President Reagan uh, always said, uh, peace through strength, and we need to ensure uh, that we are strong in the Indo-Pacific region, that our allies are strong in Japan and South Korea, the Philippines, Australia, uh, and Taiwan, and we need to make sure that they get the weapons as soon as possible.
19: We found uh, that that is actually one of the issues here that we're very concerned about. Uh, I'm very proud of the Biden administration and this Congress uh, for authorizing the sale of uh, very needed weapons uh, to Taiwan for the purpose of deterrence and and readiness, uh, because if they are prepared, they will prevail. And by prevail, I hope it is prevail in simply maintaining peace uh, and prosperity for this beautiful island uh, and these beautiful people.
2: Yeah, it's such a critically important trip that you're on. And we've, we see that here. We see how China is responding to it, issuing its own warnings. Congressman Lawler, before I let you go, I do want to ask you about something that's happening here in the U.S., which is this extraordinary the headlines that are coming out of Tennessee, the expulsion of these two Democratic lawmakers from the state house there. You're a Republican who is obviously in Washington. But do you think that they went too far by expelling these two Democrats for, for what they did on the on the state floor in Tennessee?
20: Well, respectfully, Caitlin, I have not had the opportunity to really uh, know what's going on in Tennessee. We're about 12 hours ahead uh, and we've been in back to back meetings all day. So I think it'd be inappropriate for me to comment on it, frankly.
19: If I could just say something today, we were with the legislature here uh, in Taiwan. It was really an honor to be uh, able to witness uh, part of the session. And it was a not a, not just a bipartisan uh, group of lawmakers. It's a quadripartisan Group of lawmakers. And so, anytime we can do what we can do to lift democracy, that's really our mission here. Uh, And it is important at home, just as it is here. Uh, So, I think uh, what Tennessee needs to pay attention to is what are the right moves for democracy, for the freedom of speech, uh, the freedom of representation. And for democracy, just like we are lifting up here, and that
20: and, and that is the truth. We need a, a, a robust exchange of ideas. That is what democracy uh, is about. Uh, we're seeing it here on the island of Taiwan. Uh, they're going to be having their uh, elections next January, uh, and we had a opportunity to meet today uh, with uh, members from all parties uh, mm-hmm. and have a discussion. And so. Uh, you know, I think all of us collectively as elected representatives, uh, we have an obligation to uphold and uplift democracy. Uh, you need to have a robust exchange of ideas uh, and, and all of us have a responsibility in that for sure. Yeah.
2: Democratic Congresswoman Madeline Dean of Pennsylvania, Republican Congressman Mike Lawler of New York. A rare moment of bipartisanship. We do love to see that. And thank you both for taking the time to join us uh, from your very important trip to Taipei. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Caitlin. Thank you. I always love when we can see lawmakers on different sides our, of the aisle together.
1: Especially considering what we're seeing in Tennessee, right?
0: That is a great point. Yeah. Um, all right, coming up for us, more of our sit down with JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon. His stark warning to Washington on the debt ceiling and what worries him most about the rise of artificial intelligence, plus this.
13: We support the LGBT community aggressively and actively.
0: And you'll but, still but when, when, when you still do that despite DeSantis. Yes. A live look at Capitol Hill this morning where debt ceiling talks have gone nowhere. Experts are warning that look, if we don't reach an agreement, the US will default on its debt as soon as this summer. So I asked JP Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon about what that really means when we sat down yesterday in Atlanta. You think that Congress is going to get it together in the next few months and raise the debt ceiling? Oh,
13: the debt ceiling. That's
0: what I'm talking about.
13: Yes. You do? The only question is how close they get to it before they do it, because you'll feel the pain before it happens.
0: How much pain, even if we don't default, if we get to the brink?
13: I think it's a bad idea. And, you know, our government debt can be downgraded again. This economy is the pillar of the world economy. This economy is the pillar of taking care of Americans, to making sure our military is strong uh, and making sure that people want to be part of our, our, our alliances. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you want to be part of the American group that you know, tries to keep the world safe for democracy? Yeah, that's important. So the closer we get to that, the more we're get, going to damage all of that. And then you'll see it in the markets. You'll see it. And that will but, that will scare people. Well,
0: I hope Washington's listening. The position of the Biden White House now is it will not negotiate with Republicans and the ne- Republicans, many of them, Kevin McCarthy don't want to pass a clean. Uh, They want concessions. So, should the Biden White House negotiate?
13: I think one of the great lessons of the last 20 years is that if you can't pass things with bipartisan support, you shouldn't pass it. I mean, we yes, everyone should negotiate to do the right thing for the country. And I don't, I don't want to get involved in the debate about the Republicans who want to reduce the deficit. I kind of agree with that. The Democrats who would like now to get rid of the debt ceiling crisis. But people have tortured each other over and over. I'd rather one day we get rid of the torture. But in the meantime, yes, I'd like to be resolved. And when I go to Washington, all the, all the, most of the people there know how serious this is. And they want to get it to resolution. You've even heard Kevin McCarthy talk about that, Mitch McConnell, you know, President Biden in his own way.
0: You have um, called out the Biden administration uh, for not playing more of a leadership role in energy, Um, especially, uh, you said, look, America should have been pumping more oil and gas, should have been supported. This administration did just approve more drilling in Alaska, good start.
13: It's a good start, but it's just a start. I mean, this is a long-term strategy to me, that oil and gas, and the American public should know this, it's not secure. And if it's not secure and affordable, it's bad for the climate. All that happened because we weren't pumping more is that more coal was used, not just in India, Philippines, China, and Indonesia, but Germany and Netherlands and France turned back on their coal plants. Safe and affordable is critical. The transition, by the way, the, best, the easiest way to do CO2 is reduce coal with gas. So therefore, you need pipelines. But we're not, you know, look at us, we're not approving pipeline permits, but nor are we approving solar, wind, grid. Like, we're, we're really stuck in our own underwear in this one. Stuck we, in our own underwear? We, we, we have to do a better job.
0: Can I ask and, you yeah. about a few states? Yes. Um, you guys have more employees now in Texas than in New York. Yeah. And you said it shouldn't have been that way. Why is it that way?
13: Texas is is completely welcoming. So if you look at it in multiple ways, low-income taxes, low-corporate taxes, uh, and, and easy-to-get space. They want you. Got the, you know, the mayor's call, and... Uh, they have great universities. They now have, you know, if you look at Dallas, they now have great arts and science. It, it's, it's become a competitive world. Even when I started working, that wasn't true. Now cities around the world are pretty competitive, you also- and I think every city should say, you know, what's the competition, and they should be thoughtful about that. If you have the highest individual taxes, the highest corporate taxes, the highest estate taxes anti-business. You can't look at, you know, New York didn't allow Amazon to build a great headquarters there. There's a little more
0: context to that, but I I understand
13: that, but just, but why would you try to build in New York then? You're building a huge,
0: huge (laughs) new headquarters right in the middle of New York. Uh, Yes,
13: one of the best buildings the world's ever seen. You
0: love Florida. In fact, a few weeks ago, you said you were very pro-Florida. You're growing there. Does Governor DeSantis punishing Disney for taking a public stand on social and diversity issues give you pause?
13: Not directly, no.
0: Really? Because yes, this week, Bob Iger said that's anti-business and anti-Florida. And he said it's punishing a company for exercising a constitutional right. Yeah.
13: I'm not going to get involved in all the social <laughs> stuff like that. We support an LGBT community aggressively and actively. And you'll but, still but when, do that in about-
0: despite DeSantis? Yes. Okay. I want to ask you about something that is in the news, that JP Morgan is in the news about uh, a former client of yours, and that is Jeffrey Epstein. J.P. Morgan's being sued now by the U.S. Virgin Islands. They're alleging that your bank helped facilitate payments to Epstein's victims and benefited from human trafficking while ignoring warnings. Do those allegations have
13: merit? So I cannot talk about current litigation except to say that whenever these things come up, we have some of the best lawyers in the world, compliance, out of the DOJ, out of SEC enforcement divisions, who review all of these things and make decisions at the time based on what they know as best as they know.
0: You're going to be deposed, we've learned now, in this case in the spring. In retrospect, Jamie, do you think J.P. Morgan should have acted more quickly after Epstein pleaded guilty to one of these charges in 2008 because he was your client for five more years?
13: Hindsight is a fabulous gift.
0: We're going to end on artificial intelligence. You find it fascinating in your words staggering, the tip of the iceberg. You guys are using chat GPT. What's this going to do to our economy?
13: Look, we be okay. Well, every technology that's ever been adopted was good for the economy. And, you know, I tell people, if you go back to 1900, 40 million people worked on farms. You know, technology is now 1 million people. Are we worse off? No. 39 million people now doing other things. So the internet, electric power, computers all made us better off. Our GDP per person is $70,000. Yes, this per is- Per person?
0: What if we get replaced?
13: But you won't be. It'll, it'll just change how you work and add things. Really? But But if it did, okay. But if it did, then society can step in and make sure it's done in a way that people can have jobs and good-paying jobs. But we get the benefit from it. The other thing I should point about AI: there is a downside. Bad guys are going to use it too. Yeah. So you know, for people like us, we use it for all these things. We also have to, you know, like think of risk and fraud and marketing and. Uh, errors, you know, helping clients. We also have to use it to combat, combat bad guys in the cyber world, the fake ID world and things like that. So, uh, so, I think it'll be a plus, but if do a thought exercise. Two million truckers, if they're gonna lose their jobs tomorrow because of, you know, AI driving, you know, and they're gonna go from $75,000 a year to the next job at 25, that would destroy families. I wouldn't do that. I would phase it in overtime, have retraining. So even know, if you uh, could, have-
0: doesn't mean you should.
13: Even if you could, does not mean you should, and that's where society should step in and government should step in and make sure that this helps, you know, kind of everybody. Really and then if there's someone who's going to get hurt at the low end, do something about it. Analyze it, think about it, retrain, reskill, help them move uh, or whatever to have probably a better job.
0: And next hour, finally, what Jamie Dimon thinks about the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, what could have been done to prevent it, also about Russia's war in Ukraine, how worried he is about that, and that he says it is changing everything we think about in the world that's ahead next hour
9: mm-hmm.
1: we'll talk more hindsight is a fabulous gift though we all that's a great quote right
0: yeah there's a great lot good. to say yeah.
1: there tiger woods back at the masters with a painful end to the but first round we are live in augusta this next
3: two yards shorter where you can take a stance the way he was starting to go maybe he knocks it on the green and gets a part of the
1: i gotta do it guys what do you think? Oh, oh look boy. at that. <laughs> I <laughs> was looking for my green. Where is the green jacket, right? The second round of the Masters in Augusta, Georgia, starting a little earlier this morning. Tea times have been moved up 30 minutes after the forecast calls for a heavy rainfall Today's. I know, am I looking like a nerd? <laughs> Tiger Woods struggling on Thursday with a noticeable limp. He needs a good day to make it through this weekend. Don Riddell. Joins us live from Augusta. Don, I'm wearing a, a master's hat, so that's why.
0: <laughs> and he's going to keep like it on the whole time. <laughs>
15: <laughs> <laughs>
0: master's hat, but no, no
7: master's jacket. Uh, it's a big day for. It's a really big day for Tiger Woods. Um, You know, we don't know how many more rounds of golf he's going to be able to play here. He told me earlier this week, sometimes he's out on the course and he thinks this could be the last time. And he really struggled, as you guys said, uh, on Thursday. So he's got it all to do if he's going to make the cut. He hasn't missed the cut here uh, since the mid-1990s. The weather is going to be a factor today. We're expecting a lot of rain both today and tomorrow. And I'm going to do something just for you guys, because when we spoke this time yesterday, Today, you were asking about the pimento cheese sandwiches. I wouldn't normally do one for breakfast, but just for you,
1: I will. Let's see. <laughs> oh my oh. god. And,
7: but we
1: need a...
0: <laughs> we need a chop.
1: We um, need a review. Um, he- heaven on a
3: stick, heaven <laughs> on a stick.
2: <laughs> Are they that good? The jealousy factor is through the roof right now. Yeah. <laughs> I, will, I would love a pimento cheese sandwich for breakfast. Why is the I'm food not, such a thing there? I'm not, it's, it, just, it, classic. it's just
1: It's good and it's cheap. Thank you, Don. No, I it, appreciate it. The
2: pimento cheese sandwiches are amazing, All Don. Right. I love that you just did that. <laughs> but the pimento cheese sandwiches there—they're a, a classic. Really, stand. and the lemonade, you offer and around. the pulled yeah. pork one. You pulled make? pork sandwiches. Pulled pork is
1: great. Um, and yeah, the pimento cheese, the egg salad sandwich—it's yep. good. I know the producers are like, we got to go. It's top of the hour. CNN this morning starts right now.
4: thought they won today but
14: they don't on.
2: realize yeah, yeah, they don't yeah, realize what they started yeah. good morning everyone while you were sleeping music city turning into chaos the national spotlight is on tennessee after two black state lawmakers one of the you heard from there were expelled for protesting on the house floor
1: yeah we're going to get into um that story in a bit, but violence escalating in the Middle East, Israel launching strikes against Gaza and Lebanon after a rocket attack, plus this.
11: I prefer the RV parks. I prefer the Walmart parking lots to the beaches and things like that. There's something normal to me about it.
0: That is Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas claiming he prefers RV parks to beaches, but a new bombshell report says he also enjoys private jets and mega yachts paid for and not disclosed by a Republican donor. Okay.
2: More on that in a moment. But we'll start with a protest that erupted at Tennessee's state capital and are expected to continue today and through the weekend as Republicans voted to expel two young Black Democrats from the state house. <laughs> A crowd of supporters cheered the lawmakers on as they walked into the chamber for that historic vote yesterday. You, you, Those cheers turning to boos as protesters shouted and screamed from the balcony as Republicans voted to expel them. It was in retaliation for a protesters' protest that the lawmakers staged on the House floor last week. They disrupted the session with a bullhorn. They demanded gun reform after that Covenant School shooting that left six people dead, including three nine-year-old children. That attack happened just miles away from the state capitol that you see here. Earlier, moments ago, we heard from Justin Jones. He is the lawmaker that you see there on camera. He was expelled. He is also vowing, though, to keep protesting.
4: This extreme tactic to expel us and to try to humiliate us has only put a spotlight of the world on Tennessee. And so I will go back because Fighting for the future, I'm 27 years old, fighting for the future that I want to live in, that I want my children to live in, it's worth whatever sacrifice that we have to give, whether it's being expelled, whether it's being in a hostile environment, because I want to create a community that our young people cannot just survive, but they can thrive and flourish.
2: This has even captured the attention of the White House. President Biden issuing a statement saying the expulsion of those who engaged in peaceful protest is shocking, undemocratic, and without precedent. This is a major part of the story. There was a third Democrat, the woman that you see there. She is white. She was also up for expulsion, but she survived narrowly by one vote. Last night I spoke with a top Tennessee House Republican who defended the drastic move.
8: It's not possible for us to move forward with the way they were behaving in committee and on the House floor. There's got to be some peace.
1: Let's bring in now global human rights leader, chairman of the Drum Major Institute and the son of Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, Martin Luther King III. Thank you for joining us, sir. How are you doing?
7: Thank you, I'm doing well, thank you. You you call this an outrageous
1: affront to democracy.
7: Yes, it is. It it is. It is beyond it's unconscionable that members of a legislative body that are raising issues that need to be addressed. Uh, April 4th, as you know, we observed the 55th anniversary of my father being assassinated. Fifty five years later, uh, children are now being focused on as it relates to guns being brought into school, assault rifles specifically. And our nation refuses to deal with this issue. It is a very sad day. And I'm so excited that these young men, both of them 27 years old, at the time my father was leading Montgomery, he was 27 years old. These are young men who are fighting for democracy.
2: And what we hear from these young men, and even from Gloria Johnson, the third Democrat who is also up for expulsion, she believes that the reason she survived her expulsion vote is because of her race.
7: Well, that seems to be absolutely crystal clear and it shows the tragic divide. In 2023, uh, we're still dealing with racism. My dad wanted to eradicate, he said, from our nation, the issues of poverty or racism and violence. Racism is still very real, uh, whether it's in Tennessee or whether it's in Georgia or whether it's in New York City. It does not matter where it is. We've got to eradicate this evil. You know, dad used to say darkness cannot put out darkness. Only light can do that. Uh, So we continue to try to address issues by acting as if they don't exist. These are very, very real, but it's wonderful to see communities of young people coming together. Young people, this is why these young legislators were able to stand up because it was young people in the community of Tennessee, of Nashville, and around the nation who said, who are saying, listen, we are sick and tired of this. This is not right. Uh, And who I mean, we had an assault ban in, in up to twenty uh, two thousand and four. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been, now we've allowed that ban to be eradicated. It's, it's very sad. I mean, it's a sad commentary, but people can stand up and things can change. My father and mother taught us that throughout the work that they were engaged in throughout their lives.
0: Your in, in his letter from Birmingham City Jail, um, your father also wrote about um, how silence can be compli- How silence can be complicity, and 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 the white, um, you know, uh, moderates. And I wonder what your your thoughts are on that today, in terms of other voices that can help elevate these voices in this fight.
7: So I I think that again, this is what we are seeing is an emergence of people coming together. There is a, unfortunately, it feels like a solid majority, the majority of Americans, I think, want to see assault wea- uh, weapons ban. But clearly, the Republican Party has sold out to the National Rifle Association. Uh, it's not about protecting and preserving uh, the Second Amendment. It's about protecting and preserving c- communities. The fact of the matter is if we can if we can have safe zones in, in certain places, for example, we have the technology where uh, a gun would not even work on a school zone. I mean, if we can put a dog in a fence and keep him from coming out, why can't we use that same kind of technology to protect our schools? We should be able to do that. Children should be able to go to school and not have to worry about. Whether or not someone is going to come and do something beyond heinous, uh, as we've seen around our nation. Yeah. We are a much better nation than the behavior we're exhibiting. Yeah.
1: Can I ask you one final question? Because um, it has been said by the Republican side that this was a matter of decorum, right? And that these young, uh, these three members should apologize. They haven't apologized. They were, you know, they went to the floor with a bullhorn. Your father was about peaceful nonviolence. But he was also about disrupting the norm, and that meant—if that meant—I believe—standing in the well with a bullhorn. It would have happened. That's not violence. Do you see this in the same vein as your dad?
7: Oh, absolutely. That is clearly <laughs> should not. Should they violent. apologize? Uh, that is is rep No, I don't. I don't know that there should be an apology. I think that they have to continue to do. I hope that they will be reelected uh, by their local city councils or reappointed, and then they will run and win again. Uh, it's unconscionable that this behavior is happening. There are other violations that some have been alleged that have done in the legislature, and there's been no expulsion. So why would you expel these two, and particularly African-American legislators and not the white legislator? Uh, it it just, just goes to show how sad and tragic and Uh, and how awful racism is. We are better than that. We have got to change this behavior. We've got to come together ultimately to realize the dream of my dad. That's why we're going back to Washington on August 26th, as we observe the March on Washington, because all of the country, democracy is is seeming to fall apart. But people are saying, no, we're going to stand for democracy. We saw what a Uh, uh, an insurrection would do on January 6th. Now we're saying we need a resurrection, a resurrection of democracy Mm. for truth and for all people.
1: Mm. Martin Luther King III, thank you.
7: Thank you.
0: Really powerful to hear from him today. Uh, Let's take it the Middle East violence escalating. Dramatically overnight, we're getting new images this morning after Israeli forces unleashed airstrikes in Gaza, also in Lebanon. The strikes sent dirt and debris into this home, covering the pink sheets on two children's beds. This happened just hours after rockets launched from the Lebanon border. Hit Israeli territory. The string of attacks started after police in Israel stormed the Al Aqsa Mosque twice earlier this week. Our senior international correspondent, Fred Bleichden, is right now live near the Israel Gaza border. And one of the big questions this morning, seeing this, is what is this going to become? And we all think back to 2006.
18: Hi there, Pop. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There is, of course, a big danger that this could escalate further. It seems from our vantage point here on the ground that right now all the sides that are involved really don't want that to happen. But certainly a lot of them are really upping the rhetoric. And as, as you perfectly correctly pointed out, it was a very violent night, especially here in this area, in Gaza and in the border with Gaza. I just want to show you where I'm standing right now. What you see behind me is an Iron Dome missile defense system. That's what the Israelis use to intercept some of those rockets that are shot from Uh, the area of Gaza. And of course, for this battery, as for the many others around here, it was a very busy night. There were dozens of rockets that were launched from the territory of Gaza. A lot of them were intercepted. One did land in a town called Sderot, which is not very far at all from where I am standing right now, very close to the border with Gaza. And then, of course, there were those airstrikes that the Israelis conducted in Gaza as well overnight. The Israelis are saying that they hit Tunnels that the uh, Palestinians, specifically Hamas, use for logistics. They uh, hit what they call research and development uh, areas uh, as well. Of course, um, Hamas developing new rockets uh, all the time as well. And, And Hamas says that the Israelis also hit a hospital and that there was some damage done there as well. They are obviously condemning all of this and vowing to fight back. And then you did have those strikes also in South Lebanon as well, after those rockets were shot from there yesterday, the Israelis are saying that they hit some Palestinian infrastructure there as well. So very tense here on the ground, but at the same time, it does seem as though all sides that are involved in this want to try and not get this to go out of control. Nevertheless, there is the real danger that is there. Absolutely, Fred. We're glad you're there for that reporting. Thanks very much.
1: And this is just in a scene and an update to a story that we have been following out of Central Florida. The Marion County Sheriff will be announcing arrests in the latest in the investigation there after a recent triple homicide in the area. Three teenagers were fatally shot at three separate locations over several days last week. The sheriff there has uh, said that he believes that deaths are connected and could be because of a hybrid gang. The news conference set to start 9:30 a.m. Eastern Time. We're going to bring that to you when it happens, the very latest.
2: Yeah, we'll be tracking that. Also, House Republicans have just issued their first subpoena into the investigation here in New York into Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg following his indictment of former President Trump. Hal Bragg is firing back.
1: All right, how about this? A mega yacht, private jets, and exclusive resorts. The bombshell report that Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas has been going on free luxury vacations for decades paid for by a GOP mega donor.
2: House Republicans have now issued their first subpoena in the investigation into the Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. The subpoena, though, is not for the District Attorney. Instead, it is for Mark Pomerantz, that is the former Special Assistant District Attorney who previously led the investigation into Trump. House Judiciary Chairman Jim Jordan authorized the subpoena, saying Pomerantz is uniquely situated to answer the committee's questions. Pomerantz says he resigned from the Manhattan DA's office in 2022, soon after Bragg informed him he was not prepared to move forward with the criminal charges at that point, focusing on Trump's business practices overall. Bragg himself has responded to this new subpoena for Mark Pomerantz, saying the House GOP continues to attempt to undermine an active investigation, and ongoing New York criminal case with an unprecedented campaign of harassment and intimidation. Joining us now with perspective on this is former Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, who prior to serving at the Department of Justice was commissioned as the White House counsel to President George W. Bush and now serves at the Dean of Belmont at the Belmont University College of Law. A lot to get to this morning, but I do wonder what you make of the fact that this this subpoena went to Mark Pomerantz, not Alvin Bragg himself.
9: Yeah, I I think um, um, I worry about it, quite frankly. Because it really is an indirect attack on the investigation, despite uh, what people may say. Uh, this is about interfering, um, trying to get information about ongoing investigation. When I worked in the White House and then at Justice, I always pushed back. When the, when the White House was inquiring about an ongoing case, investigation or prosecution, I'd say it's dangerous to go there. So uh, I think that's the case here. I think in the, to the extent that there's wrongdoing by, by the, uh, the, the DA in, in New York City, there are state Entities that can look into that. The state's highest court can look into it. The the bar can look into it. Uh, There are various ways to deal with it. And typically, those investigations would occur after the fact because they know the danger of interfering with an ongoing investigation. And so that's what's going on here. And I think that's unfortunate. I think I think the uh, I I would hope that the House Republicans would stand down on this.
2: Well, and it's unusual to see them subpoena a line prosecutor. But the idea, because Mark Pomerantz has written a book about a lot of this and about why he left that office, do you think that that hurts his ability to resist a subpoena like this one?
9: Well, we'll we'll see. You know, I assume that he'll be reluctant to to comply. uh, But whether or not he'll be successful in in avoiding uh, Providing testimony re- remains to be seen. Again, I, from, from my perspective, I looked at—I simply look at the fact that, as to whether or not is this the Congress stepping in and interfering with an ongoing investigation at the state level? And I, I really don't see that as a role of Congress, quite frankly. And even to the extent that they have some kind of jurisdiction, I think, again, weighing in and interfering with an investigation is really n- not what they ought to be doing.
2: Okay. well, on that front, the other remarkable story we're talking about this morning is this ProPublica report into Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and these luxury trips that he and his wife took with a Republican mega donor, which the donor says, you know, that was just hospitality. It wasn't anything that justice thomas had asked for justice thomas himself has not commented and there's you know no formal code of conduct at the supreme court that would bar him from doing this but i wonder if this makes you think there needs to be uh, tighter restrictions on on the ethics code for someone like a supreme court justice
9: well first of all i don't know if, if the facts of the report the reporting is accurate i assume it is but it parts of it may not be accurate uh, and, it, and I know Justice Thomas, uh, I've worked with a lot of people, hired people that would know him extremely well. I don't think this kind of uh, action uh, would in any way influence his decision on the court. But having said all that, I, I, I worry about uh, the image, um, the fact that uh, a justice is, is uh, taking these gifts and, and not reporting it if in fact the, the law requires uh, reporting. Uh, And if the reason you don't report is because you're afraid of how it looks, maybe you shouldn't accept it. Again, I don't think it has any influence or impact on the work of the justice. But I think uh, it uh, it creates um, further angst about the court, about the justices, Uh, obviously, given the recent decisions at the end of the last term. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have raised questions about about the court. Uh, talks about expanding the court, talks about term limits, talk about l- limiting the jurisdiction of the court. So uh, I think that justices need to be careful because it's not all about just your individual conduct. Whatever you do, whatever you say, it affects the rest of the justices. It affects the reputation of the court. And and I think if you, you, you look at recent polling, and, and the judges generally should, I would say, urge them not to look at recent polling, because they need to make the decisions based on what they believe is right, believe uh, based upon what the Constitution or the statute say. But nonetheless, you need to be sensitive about how your actions affect how people uh, believe uh, or respect the court. Because in the end, respect respecting yeah. the judgment of the court depends upon how people view the court.
2: Before I let you go, I can't ignore... What's in the top right of the screen there, Nashville? The fact that you are where all of the headlines are coming out of this morning. What we were watching so closely at the state house last night. You are, were well, the attorney general. You served in a Republican administration. What do you make of Republicans in your home state expelling two young black Democratic lawmakers for how they responded for their protest breaking decorum on the House floor?
9: Well, there are rules here, and obviously when you break the rules, there sometimes has to be accountability. Uh, but I, I think that what happened here goes beyond, uh, I think, what was right. I think people would look at the facts here, the fact that the, the demonstrations related to the shootings that happened a week or so ago here in Nashville. Uh, and I, I, I think that they first should have taken other action, reported to the Ethics Committee, perhaps stripped them of jurisdiction of, of, of sitting on, on certain committees. So I think it well, went well beyond that. And I think it sends a terrible message, quite frankly. You know, Nashville prides itself on being an open, welcoming city. Uh, this, I think this h- could hurt business. Uh, I'm part of an effort to bring Major League Baseball to Nashville. I don't know how that's going to affect our efforts in terms mm-hmm. of how people around the country look upon this city. And I know that, you know, by and large, the people that I know here, I love them. Uh, they've been great to me and my family. But this is just not a very good story for the city of Nashville, and I think it's very unfortunate.
2: Wow. It's it's remarkable to hear you say you think it could could affect business as well. We'll see what the repercussions actually are. Former Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, thank you for your time this morning.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's interesting. It could affect business, and that would not be good. And and Nashville is doing so well and thriving right now, right?
2: It's a good point of the larger implications of this. It's not just a Tennessee thing. Yeah.
1: We are just minutes away from seeing the March jobs reports after a tumultuous month for banks worldwide. We're going to see if it had any impact.
0: Also, does J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon think more banks are going to collapse? Also, does he think a recession is coming? We ask him. All right. We are just a few minutes away from the March jobs report following a tumultuous month for banks worldwide during the 2008 financial crisis. It was Jamie Dimon, along with the other bankers, that really steered uh, this economy through what we saw. He led the rescue of Bear Stearns and Washington Mutual, helped avert a total collapse of the country's financial system. So I asked him, why did we just see two more banks fail? Could it have been avoided? What we do know is that regulators told Silicon Valley Bank at least six times, you've got a problem and your vulnerabilities, you need to fix them. Because of a law change a few years ago, they didn't have to fix them. There was just a recommendation. They didn't fix those vulnerabilities. I don't
13: think, I don't think it had anything to do with law change. Let they me, should have fixed it. The regulator should have forced it.
0: Yes. So yeah. let me ask you this question. Because you, the regulators can't force it, should the public know when banks like that are warned multiple times, or is the risk too great that then there's a run on the bank if you wave a flag and say, this bank has an issue?
13: So you may know more than I do about it because I didn't read all those I regulatory reports. Doubt but my, but my, that. <laughs> my view is the regulators could have forced it. If my regulators called me up and said, we do not like X and you have to change it, I would change it. You would. It, there's there's, a- there was no law change that made that not possible. There
0: was a 2021. 2021- Regulation change that would that said that this was just guidance. So you're saying it should no, be No, It wasn't just
13: guidance. Okay. I have just guidance too, but when they tell me I have to do it, I'm going to do it. Do, I'm you do it. You do it. Yeah. So
0: let's talk about regulation. You say better regulation would not have prevented?
13: No, no, it would have. It
0: would have. So what's better?
13: Oh, I think, again, there, we have liquidity, discount windows, yeah. we have mortgage laws, we've got capital laws, we've got TLAC laws, we've got how you can use the discount window. There are a hundred rules. I'm saying, thoughtfully, adjust the mix of how you do those. Make a bit of changes. If you have uninsured deposits, what that means to help to maturity. Should you have debt issued? Should the supervisors force something or not, uh, statutorily, not voluntarily? And yeah, I think you can make a lot of change or improve the system. But that's always true in any system. I've never seen that not be true. You
0: write in your annual letter about what you call your word, whack-a-mole. You seem to like that word. And politically motivated responses to the banking crisis. Like
13: what? Well, no, I think very often when it comes to regulations, you have, this is the problem. They try to fix that, but it often has unintended consequences. If you want healthy regional banks, community banks, you should also listen to them about what excess cost does to their ability to compete, you know what extra high cost debt does to it, and, and have a thoughtful conversation about what are the things we can do to, to make it easier for you and make the system safer. I believe that that's doable. It's not doable without the conversation and without the analysis.
0: I was reading back some things you said in 2008, and this was in the middle of the crisis, you just acquired Bear Stearns in a fire sale trying to stabilize the banking system. And then you said, if you don't worry in this business, you're crazy. What are you most worried about right now? In two this things, business? Two, two
13: things. Well, I think all business. Quantitative tightening, the effect it has on long-term rates, inflation higher for longer, that's kind of the tide going out. So like even when Bear Stearns went down, you think other people have seen that and said, I have too much leverage, too much mortgage debt, too much this, and made some changes. Lehman went down six months later. I think they might've been able to fix that in the meantime. So that's a little bit of a warning to people. And I, but I think there's war in Ukraine. Or I think that is changing everything we think about the world, how we should think about safety and security, even around food, energy, it's changing economic relationships, it's rolling in the relationship with us in China. That is the most important thing. I mean, if you want to have a free and democratic Western world and an American century in the next hundred century, that's what we got to focus on.
0: You said last year on that front, the autocratic world thinks that the Western world is a little lazy and incompetent, and there's a little bit of truth to that. Is that still how you see it?
13: Yeah. I think, you know, I think we do a lot of things and, first of all, we're in great position. So you know, for the American public. We have food, water, energy. We're the most prosperous nation the world's ever seen. That's still true. The most innovative. Just go to Atlanta. Go to, not some people think like it's just Silicon Valley, but it's in Atlanta too. It's in New York. It's in Brooklyn. You know, it's all over the place. We have the high our GDP per person is $70,000 plus. China's is $15,000. They import 10 million barrels of oil a day. They don't have uh, the Atlantic and the Pacific. They have a very complicated neighborhood. They're, you know, they're aiming their neighbors. We're all starting to rearm. We've got a great hand. On the other hand, we haven't done a particularly good job taking care of our lower-paid citizens, our inner-city schools, immigration, taxation. And I think people should pay their taxes. Litigation, which you know, we, it costs one percent of GDP, and if it was if it created more fairness in life, I'd say that was good. But it's capricious, arbitrary, slow. You know, uh, and I so I can go on and on about mortgages, affordable. You 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 heard here about affordable housing. You know, we all agree with that. But very often the problem with affordable housing isn't capital. It's local zoning laws. So if America just got up of its own way, I think we can go at 3% a year.
0: Are you worried about how close Iran, Russia, and China are to one another right now and are getting to one another? Do you think about that? Yeah, you're I a student mean, of history. I,
13: I mean, if you were going to ally with the Western world, America and Europe and Western world, or you're going to ally with you know, Iran and Russia, I mean, please, am I worried? Not really. That doesn't worry you? No, It worries so, some of
0: our top generals.
13: OK, you said military. Yes, you should worry about geopolitics, but I just told you what a great hand America has. Same with kind of Europe. What we should be doing is ally- making sure we're the allies, not just militarily, but economically, strategically, diplomacy, development, finance. You know, have the rest of the world want to join us. So if you're India, would you rather be part of that group or part of the Western world? Are we doing okay. enough to no, entice? No, not enough, no. I think, you know, Bob Gates in his book, I, I've already called it the uh, Symphony of Power, or something like that, said the symphony includes diplomacy, development finance, having business involved in helping develop, you know, Africa, Latin America, parts of Asia. I think we could do a far better job coordinating that as a policy. I think, by the way, the administration thinks that too. And, and, and the other thing, but you can't take trade off the table. So the first thing we do is we take trade off the table right from the start. You no know, trade may be the most important thing for these countries. And while there are legitimate complaints about trade, We can do it better. We can do it right. Uh, uh, And we should be very thoughtful about it.
0: Should the FDIC insure more than $250,000? Because I think a lot of people feel right now, after what we've seen, that every deposit is just insured with no ceiling.
13: You know, I think probably, but it goes back to my thing about regulations. If you do this, you don't need to do that. If you do this, you don't need to do that. If you do them both, you can hurt. So just be very thoughtful. But probably we should raise the uh, deposit insurance. I don't know yet. I mean, again, you got to do the analysis and that. What about? But I, but I think that would help community banks.
0: It would help raise yes. it. About, okay, yes. so final question on that: Should the should banks like yours, the big guys uh, with the most assets, that have an implicit guarantee that you're essentially not going to fail, pay a higher percentage in deposit insurance?
13: Oh God, I don't know. I'll, leave that, I'll leave that to everybody else. You have no decide. opinion on that? No. If you
0: guys should pay more into But if
13: we were too big to fail, by the way, our bonds wouldn't trade the way they trade. Just so you know, and you were in the markets, and so fair.
0: Okay, talk about the economy. You wrote a lot about this in your annual letter. Has this banking crisis, even though you think it's almost over, which I'm really glad to hear, though increased chances of a recession here?
13: Yes, but I, I, I look at it like it's not definitive. It's just like another weight on the scale. Okay. And think of it as, you know, people have said it's like raising rates another 50 basis points or something like that. I, we are seeing people reduce lending a little bit, cut back a little bit, pull back a little bit. It won't necessarily force a recession, but it is recessionary
0: recession more likely yeah. because of this banking crisis from Jamie Dimon. Not definitive,
2: but another weight on the scale. That's yeah. An interesting way of how he's yeah. looking at it.
0: Yeah. Perfect time
1: now to talk about the monthly job numbers. Yep. The monthly job report is in. CNN's business correspondent Rahel Solomon is here. Good morning nice. to you. Morning, Coming guys. out of Jamie Dimon. Now, what are you seeing?
17: Yeah. So this was a cooling job report, but very much in line with expectations. So let's get to the numbers. So uh, we added two hundred and thirty-six thousand jobs in the month of March. The expectation was two hundred and forty. The unemployment rate ticking down from three point six percent to three and a half percent. Guys, we're back at that fresh fifty-year low for unemployment. We saw people come off the sidelines. So Fed certainly wants to see that. We want to see more workers entering the workforce because we still have so many jobs. Let's take a look at wages. So wages increased 0.3 percent, 0.3 percent on a monthly basis, 4.2 percent on an annual basis. Where we saw job gains, Uh, some of what we've been seeing, right, a continued trend, leisure and hospitality continuing to add jobs there, uh, government jobs continuing to add jobs there. So this is something that uh, is certainly a cooling. I should say that we haven't seen job growth in this range, really, in the last few years. So certainly a cooling, but I would argue a welcome cooling, certainly for the Fed. Is it enough? Will it be enough to tame inflation? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really tough question (laughs) to ask. Um, I mean... We'll see. Right. I mean, I, it think, it's continue, a, I right? think it's a long road ahead. For and sure. the
1: markets reacting well to this. right? The
17: markets are actually closed today for the holiday. So I uh, can't tell you about market reaction. Oh, uh, stocks.
1: They, I thought stocks were down. But anyways, I didn't know
17: that. Yeah, the markets are actually closed, but uh, they do reopen Monday. But what I can tell you is that I would expect that this would be the type of report that investors would like to see. Right. Because let's put this in context after the Fed has done so much. right? We've seen nine interest rate hikes since last March. That's a lot. We've hiked rates from about 0% to 5% in almost a year, in just about a year. So investors are looking for, and I would argue many consumers are looking for the Fed to stop with the rate hikes, right? I mean, it has sent credit card rates higher. It has sent mortgage rates higher. And so we're hoping for a a bit of a break in terms of the rate hikes. Will this be enough to get the Fed to cool down? Maybe. I mean, Citibank put out a note this morning saying it still expects another rate hike of 25 basis points. Oxford Mm -hmm. Economics says the same. So uh, will it be enough? It remains to be seen.
1: I forgot it was Good Friday. We'll see you on
17: May I know 3rd.
21: I I forgot it
1: was Good Friday. <laughs>
2: yeah, we'll see what That's they true. do. Thank you, Rahel. Thank you, Rahel. I
1: appreciate that.
17: All right,
2: hours of hidden camera footage now appears to show a dermatologist poisoning her husband with Drano and his lemonade. Stunning allegations. We have the details ahead. Plus, horrifying
0: new details surrounding the stabbing death of tech executive Bob Lee. These new images from the moment after his attack.
2: A California grand jury has just indicted a dermatologist on charges of repeatedly trying to poison her husband with liquid drain cleaner. The attorney for Emily Hughes says it was her husband who, quote, engineered the events during a contentious divorce. The husband says he installed cameras allegedly catching her in the act. CNN's Camilla Bernal is joining us live from Los Angeles. Camilla, in this case, I know it first came to light last year, but we're learning so many details about it. What's the latest?
22: Yeah, so Yu's husband, Jack Chan, what he's saying is that he was drinking this lemonade and started noticing a chemical taste in his mouth. So after he started feeling like something was off, he installed all of those cameras. So we read all these court documents and in them, he says... That in these videos, he sees uh, her, his wife going into or under the kitchen sink, getting that Drano and then putting it into his hot lemonade. He says he has at least three videos that show her doing this. The videos have not been uh, put out to the public, but we do have these screen grabs. And he says he had to go to the doctor and was diagnosed with stomach ulcers because of all of this. So she is now charged with three counts of poisoning and one count of domestic abuse. Now, her defense attorney says she will plead not guilty. He says this was all orchestrated because of their divorce. He says that everyone knew that the family had an amp problem, and so they were using this lemonade with the Drano to bait and kill the ants. Now, what he or what she is alleging through her attorney is that essentially, instead of calling 911, he went to his uh, divorce lawyer and that he also is just using this because this is a very complicated divorce between two successful uh, physicians. He says that she or that he would have noticed having drank that Drano because it is just so poisonous and so horrible that he uh, should have known what he was drinking, Caitlin. And so pungent. Oh, what a
2: bizarre case. Camille Bernal, thank you for the latest yeah. on that.
0: It really is. All right, new details also emerging this morning after the fatal stabbing of Cash App founder Bob Lee. The San Francisco Standard is reporting surveillance video and police records indicate that Lee had stab wounds to the chest. They also show that he called 911 for help and tried to flag down a car.
20: He seems to lift his shirt up as he approaches a car that is stopped on the corner uh, with its flashers on. The car then drives away. He falls to the ground. He gets up again and then walks back on Main the way he came but on the other side of the street and, and falls down.
0: Mm. The surveillance photo obtained by the Daily Mail captures some of Bob Lee's final moments as he staggered toward an apartment building with blood on his hands. Police are still trying to identify a suspect in this tragic attack. Oh, boy.
1: Well, the White House giving a sneak peek at its decorations for this weekend's Easter festivities. How's the rest of the country celebrating Easter and Passover? And Passover. Harry Inton is here with this morning's number. Surrounded by... Butterflies and an invitation?
0: Not White the house. Easter egg roll. Has anyone ever been to the Easter uh, egg roll? Yeah. Yes. Yes. You were
1: there every year. So a look at the Vatican this Good Friday morning. Pope Francis set to lead prayer in Rome today after his recent stint in the hospital. And that brings us to... Our senior data reporter, Harry Anton, looking at this morning's number, Holy Week. So what is happening this morning? We have Easter and we have Passover.
21: Right. So this morning's number is one. Why? Because Google searches for Easter this April ranked number one ahead of every other month since 2004. My goodness gracious, I think probably we're coming out of COVID, right? And the idea is, hey, maybe we can go out there and we can celebrate with our family. We can go to church. We can have people over for Easter uh, lunch, and you know, maybe roll some eggs with the kids. Who knows? But it's also Passover, and yeah. I heard you were very interested in this Don. Yeah. And it, I think you know we had spoken about Hanukkah before, right? Yeah. Well, I know about Passover. I just think that we,
1: we explain to people it's always good to people to give people knowledge about about things, right?
21: Right. So you know, Passover is right now too. And it's for either seven or eight days and nights, depending on who you ask, where you are. A lot of uh, Jews in Israel actually only celebrate for seven days. But here in the States, we celebrate it for eight because we're trying to buffer in because we're not exactly sure when it occurred. It honors the Jews escaping slavery in Egypt. The Jews were freed after Egypt was hit with plagues. And the 10th plague was God kills the firstborn sons of Egypt but he passes over or passed over the Jewish homes. So thereby is the name of Passover, is that God passed over the Jewish homes and spared the firstborn son. And it is celebrated nightly with seders. It's celebrated the first two nights, uh, reformed Jews. Some will even do it the last two nights as well, a seder. You read a Haggadah, you learn about the escape from, uh, from Egypt from the bondage in Egypt. It was something I really enjoyed doing as a kid, Don. Okay, so let's get
1: to Easter now. What are the favorite things? Is it
21: candy? But is it eggs? What is it? Yeah, so the most popular Easter uh, candies, take a look here. Uh, Reese's peanut butter eggs, number one. The kinder chocolate candy eggs. I think we're sensing a theme here, right, with chocolate eggs. Uh, How about some jelly beans, right? That's number three. Again, chocolate eggs, number four. And the Cadbury Easter cream eggs, number five. So I think think we have a pretty good uh, scheme going on here. Eggs are pretty big. That's what I have
1: to say. I, they're weighing in over there. Does anyone remember my favorite Easter commercial?
21: Remember, remember
11: the
1: kid? Me Thanks, Eat Bunny. Woo woo. I love I,
21: I love I loved those eggs, but I'll also just note it's also a good time to give a greeting card, right? Oh my gosh! Easter is number five. Easter is number five. Number five. Uh, Christmas <laughs> is number one. Um, but look, number five is not. Bad at all. So maybe okay. I'll send you an Easter card if yeah. you send me a Passover card. How about that? All right. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. What's your favorite Easter candy? Peeps.
2: Candy. Uh uh-uh. no peeps. uh. No peeps. Uh peanut butter eggs. Hello. No, <laughs> no Cadbury eggs. With Cadbury, the yogurt. Yeah. Cadbury so says eggs. Cadbury eggs. Peanut is butter number eggs. Number one, baby. Number, <laughs>
1: number one,
21: there you go. Good so taste. Pa- Caitlin roots for one of the best teams in college football and roots for one of the best uh. I got tr- good Easter taste. what can I say? Oh, oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Oh boy.
0: <laughs> thanks that was enlightening this is funny. thank boop you both boop. very much um,
12: <laughs> <anyway>.
0: <laughs> now I'm reading the golf thing that I know nothing about an amateur making history at the Masters his inspiring story this is I know about this story and this is a great one that's next Look at that. Avenger star Jeremy Renner is speaking out about the terrifying snowplow accident that he suffered on New Year's Day. The 52-year-old actor broke more than 30 bones when he tried to stop the vehicle from trampling his nephew. He spent several months in the hospital recovering from his injuries, and he's given his first interview to Diane Sawyer. And he says he remains haunted by the memory.
7: If I was there on my own, that would have been a horrible way to die. And surely I would've, surely.
9: Do you remember the pain? Oh, all of it, yeah, I was
7: awake through every moment. and it's, uh, it's exactly like you imagine it would feel like. If you, it's hard to imagine what that feels like, but when you look at the machine, and you look at, and I was on asphalt and ice, I wish I was on snow. It felt like uh, someone took the wind out of you. Too many things are going on in the body to feel. Pain It's everything, it's like if your soul could have pain.
0: Mm. Your soul could have pain. Renner says he has residual pain and there's rehabilitation, but he has no regrets, he says, right? He was stepping in front to rescue his nephew. Uh, that has got to be a bit of the born legacy, Aaron Cross, in him, right, guys? Glad
1: he's okay. Wow. Glad he's okay, yeah. Yeah,
2: amazing to hear him talk about that. Also, today, the Masters happening in Augusta. It's the second day. One young golfer, though, has added something special to his swing. It's Sam Bennett's first time actually competing. In the tournament, nearly two years ago, Bennett lost his father after he suffered from early-onset Alzheimer's. The golfer says he will never forget, though, the one piece of advice that his father gave him before he died. Don't wait to do something. Bennett got his dad's words and his own handwriting tattooed on his forearm. You can see it here, his left forearm in this photo. Bennett is certainly doing something. He is now tied for sixth place in the tournament, shooting the lowest score by an amateur in 22 years. And on that note, on that, that note,
1: note. We know you hate this. Happy birthday. Thank to you. you. We love you. Okay, Thank you. Do not open this cuz it's on something camera? that you told me that you wanted, but you cannot open it.
12: <laughs> it's the
0: greatest gift. <laughs> So, Caitlin. Caitlyn, everyone in the control room. Caitlin, put the kibosh on the rest of this celebration. <laughs> okay. It's going to start at 9, but you'll have to look at her Instagram You're for gonna it.
1: You're going to love this. You're gonna, gonna, it's I, I was, amazing. And also, I was going to wear a Tim. Tim got this, by the way. But I was going to wear an Alabama jersey under my... Th- <laughs> we went all around. We could not find it in Manhattan yesterday. That I would went, have been I was things. in the barbershop. Tim was, like, walking around <laughs> room trying to find an Alabama jersey, and we never found it. You
2: guys are the best. Thank Happy you very birthday. much. Thank you to everyone else for all of that. We love you. you. Thank you for not nice. doing anything more, because I would have hated it. <laughs> oh, that's coming now.
0: <laughs> CNN News Central is now.
1: Have a great Thanks, weekend. everyone. Have
0: a good weekend.
1: Okay, now you got.
21: Now you got to. I'm open so it. Scared. Why? Why right, are you
0: scared? Queue yes, the rest, please.